have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guest that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. shortages, supply chain breakdowns continue to have a domino effect on everything, especially food production. Farmers can't plant as many crops now because of fertilizer shortages, forced regulations, and of course, high fuel prices. This will cause more painful food shortages when we run out of the food we're eating now. You know, food takes time to grow. So when farmers don't plant, well, months later, we don't eat. That's why you need to prepare for an increasing number of food shortages. And the best way is to invest in ready hour emergency food from My Patriot Supply. It's a perfect hedge against skyrocketing prices and shortages. Right now, save $50 on a four-week food kit from My Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and get your $50 savings on a four-week emergency food kit that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's preparewithsouthernsense.com. Those who know what's coming are getting prepared now. Well, if you don't want to type in that whole big thing saying preparewithsouthernsense.com and you're on my website, which is Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense, as in commonsense.com, you can easily click on My Patriot Supply and go directly to the website and get your $50 savings. As I'm telling you now, those who know what's coming are getting prepared right now. Shouldn't you? Prepare with southern-sense.com. 
That's southern-sense.com. Click on My Patriot Supply. Do it now. Morning on time, you can see him arrive. He stood six foot three and weighed two thirty-five, kinda broad at the shoulder and fast with the lip. And everybody knew you didn't give no shit to Big Don. Big Don, Big Don, Big Bad Don. Dust in the smoke of this Democrat hell walked a giant of a man that the Patriots knew well. Grabbed a sagging economy and let out with a groan. And like a mighty oak tree, just stood there alone. Big Don. I'm talking about our man, Donald Trump. He's the president now. And all you chumps can just settle down and stay in your safe space. We're about to make America a better place with Big Don. Big Don. Big Don, Big Bad Don. Old Don got to work because we got problems to be solved. And the Democrats shouted, the Russians are involved. Brought out their special counsel with Robert Mueller. Too bad the wall just got ten feet taller with Big Don. Well, they will lie and cheat and steal and threaten and pander to illegals before our veterans. But we're over these liberals loading our country in a hearse. It's about time to put America first with Big Don. Big Don. Big Don. Big Bad Don. We're going to put these criminals where they belong. We got people like Hannity and Julian Assange and all the centipedes following QAnon and Americans like me just singing my song for Big Don. The path ain't easy because the devil's working hard, but we got God on our side and he's playing his trump card. Just remember my countrymen to always stick together. Fake news can't stop us from making this world better with Big Don. Big Don. Big Don. Big Bad Don. It's all said and done, America will be great and we'll build a statue just to commemorate a great man with these words on the slate. Thanks to the people's power, a man came from his tower to save America in its final hour. Big dog. Big dog. Big dog. Big bad dog. Radio, half a dozen other places. Ah, just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, 
Southern-sense.com. As usual, we're having our normal Fakafka <laughs> screw-ups with our technical issues. But I'm your hostess with the mostest, the least mostest, I should say, Annie, the Radio Chickadee, along with my guest co-host for the third blessed week in a row, or is it fourth? I forget. I'm losing count. Former congressman from the great state of Florida, Ted Yoho. Good afternoon, Ted. Are we having a day or what? Are you sure today's not Friday the 13th? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. No, thank you for having me on again, and uh, thanks for calling me on that alternate line. Uh, it worked well. <clears throat> <laughs> well, I've been. I look I've been forward scrambling. to your show lineup. It is a great one. Well, it got all messed up. An hour and fifteen minutes before airtime, I get a message that Jennifer Say cannot be with it. She had a family emergency. She had to fly out last uh-huh. minute this morning, so she's not going to be with us. And then uh, Dr. Scott Jensen had a scheduling conflict. This is the last-minute push for the election, and he had a crowd event. He had to go to come hell or high water, and he backed out. So we kind of like scrambled around, and last second, there is a gentleman out there that came up with this brand-new board game called Election Fun Board Games. And as you imagination will go, one run wild. Oh, yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Jay Ellis, he's the founder and CEO of Election Fund Board Games. He will be on with us. We also have an old friend of the show, Greg Cummings. Uh, He is the author of the Continue the Mission books, and this one is a We the People handbook. He's also the founder of Legal Shield and also an organization that helps veterans called Continue the Mission. Uh, I've known this guy, oh, geez, as long as I've had the show, and he is he is a work devil. Uh, he, there's no stopping him. Uh, then we got our bi-monthly visit from our friend Mark Tapscott. Uh, he couldn't get with us last time because his wife had been in a right. uh, car accident. She's doing fine. You know, I sent we were texting each other back and forth last night. A few bumps and bruises, but she's healing. She's doing well. Uh, so he'll be joining with us. And then we have a new person from the Heritage Foundation. He is the Senior Research Fellow at the Center for National Defense. He's going to be talking about our state of national undefense that we have, Dakota Wood, former Marine, so hoorah, from the heart of the Tri-Command here in South Carolina. <laughs> so we scrambled, and we've got it rocking and rolling, and we've got a lot to talk about, Ted. You sure do, and you always deliver. You always, you know, have a backup plan, and I'm amazed at that. You do a good job. <laughs> backup? Talk about my hair turning gray within a matter of moments. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, you're not being able to dial in, and you work that out in the flash, so I appreciate it. Oh, geez. I'm just hoping our guests can now dial in, because if you were having the problem, wondering what else is going to happen, whether or not we're actually going to have guests. Oh, please don't jinx me here, Ted. Please don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Not geez. a problem. Uh, well, for those that are listening to the show, I want... There's a oh, lot yeah. to talk about. There's a lot to talk about if they don't show up. Well, I'm telling you, I, I've got... Last second, I was pulling stuff out of the computer left and right. Plus, I have my copy of the Epic Times that came in the mail yesterday sitting here folded up neatly next to me. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah. We, there is a lot, a lot. Um, I want to say hi to everyone that is here in the chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, as well as those that are showing up over on um, 
Facebook and YouTube and uh, actually our website also, Southern Sense, just put the dash in the middle. You can watch us live there. And I am working on getting the video finally so we can do something looking a little bit more like Newsmax. It's going to take a little more time, but we're getting closer and closer day by day. And that would be so cool to see something like that up on the screen, wouldn't it, Ted? Instead of having to worry about that dialing, I mean, you, you yeah, click no, on a I web page. You, doing that. you click on a web page, and you're automatically in on the show. I bring you in just as smooth as silk. I can't wait. <laughs> can't wait. You're going high tech. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm catching my breath here. Uh, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Officer Adrian Lopez Sr. He is with the White Mountain Apache Tribal Police Department. His end of watch was Thursday, June 2nd of 2022. And this is from the Officer Down Memorial page. And it reads, Officer Adam Lopez was shot and killed during a traffic stop on East Fork Road in White River, Arizona, around 7 p.m. on June 2nd. An altercation occurred between Officer Lopez and the driver during which Officer Lopez was fatally shot. The subject then stole Officer Lopez's patrol vehicle and fled the scene with other White Mountain Apache police in pursuit. The pursuit traveled almost 40 miles before officers and the subject exchanged shots near Holy Lake, during which another officer was wounded and the subject was killed. Officer Lopez was a U.S. Army veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. He served with the White Mountain Apache Tribal Police Department for five months and had previously served 10 months with the United States Department of the Interior Bureau of Indian Affairs Office of Justice Services in Wind River, Wyoming. He is survived by his wife and two children. His total tour was one year and three months. He was only 35 years old. And this is from Cindy Johnson. She posted on memorialmemories.com. Family, friends, and colleagues of White Mountain Apache Police Officer Adrian Lopez Sr. gathered in White River to say goodbye. The 35-year-old was shot dead on June 2nd while conducting a traffic stop on East Fork Road in White River. It was Arizona's first death on duty that year. Officer Lopez's funeral service was held at Chief Alchese's Activity Center, after a procession passed Lopez's coffin and members of his family through the community. His wife and two children were present, but chose not to speak during the service. A few hundred people filled the bleachers in the center, including officers from departments across the state and the White Mountain Apache Police Department. Many residents in attendance wore shirts made in honor of Lopez, bearing his name and the end of waking hours. Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez was also in attendance. His spokesperson, Jared Tochin, told the Arizona Republic. An American flag was draped over Lopez's coffin, which lay in front of a stage decorated with red, white, and blue flowers. A seal 
of the Apache tribe of the White Mountains was heard as recently elected leader Casey Velasquez addressed the crowd. As a former law enforcement officer, I can tell you that every time an officer hugs and kisses his beloved or children goodbye, that knowingly could be their final hug, Velasquez said. We can't imagine your incredible grief, but we want you to know that the White Mountain Apache tribe mourns by your side as a community. He continued, directing his words to Lopez's family, who were in the front two rows. It's going to be hard. Life will never be the same for you. But you will get up and leave, and your life will make Officer Lopez proud. Few details about Lopez's personal background were revealed during the service. But a funeral schedule said he was born in Los Angeles in 1986. His wife, Lashana Lopez, told ABC 15 earlier this week that they had been married for 10 years and that he had served in the Army. She said they moved from Los Angeles to Wyoming, where Lopez eventually became a police officer, which was a dream of his, Lashana Lopez told the news outlet. It's really scary. It's really scary now. It really is. Lopez had only started working for the tribe's police department in January. He previously worked for the Bureau of Indian Affairs from March to December of last year. The White Mountain Apache Police Department, in a Facebook post earlier, said he was across distribution from the White from the Wind River. I'm sorry, from the Wind River Reservation in Crowheart, Wyoming which has a police department run by the Bureau, according to the Wyoming Public Radio. Pastor Marty Paxson of the White River Assembly of God said during the service that Lopez made a huge impact on the community during his short tenure with the police department. He made presentations at local schools and interacted with the youth in the community, Paxson said. I don't know him personally. Maybe he pulled me over a couple of times. I don't know he said, drawing a few giggles from those present. But it breaks my heart as a pastor to know that we have to go through this again. We have to face this again. Two years ago, David Kellywood was the White Mountain Apache police officer shot on duty. It devastated the tight-knit community, said, and said parishioners at the time, including Kellywood's wife, Camelia Kellywood, and their two sons. The White Mountain Apache Police Chief Theodore Shaw also spoke briefly at the service, first softly into the microphone, and then emotionally. Acting Captain Stephen Kane of the White Mountain Apache Police Department delivered closing remarks for the funeral of Officer Adrian Lopez at the Chief Alachasi Activity Center in White River on June 9, 2022. Lopez said if that day ever came for him, he didn't want the boring long talk about his body. Lopez wanted to go out with a bang, he said, while fighting back tears as several members of Lopez family nodded in agreement. Today, Lopez is going out with a bang, Sean continued. He continued to chant a few words out loud, eventually yelling, We're going to miss you, Adrian. The service ended with a 21-gun salute, a flag-folding ceremony, and a final radio call. Several police helicopters flew overhead 
The folded American flag was later given to a member of Lopez's family. His wife received a Lopez police hat and a Pendleton blanket, which she draped over his coffin. Lopez, who is not a registered member of the White Mountain Apache tribe, was buried in Los Angeles, according to police department spokesman Matthias Lupe. The incident of June 2nd began just after 7 p.m., when Lopez pulled over a vehicle on East Fork Road. Although it's unclear why, officials said at a news conference earlier. An incident then occurred between Lopez and the driver of the vehicle, who was later identified as Kevin Dwight Nasheo, 25. Officials said Nasheo lived in White River and is known to the police department, but they declined to elaborate. During the fight, Nasheo shot and killed Lopez, officials said. Is unclear whose weapon he used. He then stole Lopez's tagged squad car and led other White Mountain Apache police officers on roughly a 40-mile chase through very rough and rural areas of tribal land, officials said. Nasheo and the officers were engaged in a rolling gunfight during the chase. At one point, Nasheo's police vehicle crashed into a tree near Holy Lake, And a short time later, another gun battle began, officials said. The 29-year-old White Mountain Apache police officer Lonnie Thompson was then injured. Thompson, who had been a police department employee and supervisor for some time, was airlifted to a Phoenix area hospital that night, according to police. However, he was present at a candlelight vigil for Lopez outside the police department on that Monday. Tonight was quite emotional for me, he told the news outlet. I loved him. Even though he was only here with us for five short months, we definitely had a good bond and connection. Officer Adrian Lopez, you are now end of tour. We will take it from here. Today's show is dedicated to Officer Adrian Lopez Sr., is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, emergency services, or firefighters. It's also dedicated to the brave men and women out there that serve in the military, just like Adrian Lopez did, from the birth of this great nation through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to each and every one of them this song from my friend Todd Allen Herndon. My name is America. May God bless each and every one.
others gave it to me. They believe in the virtues I stand for. I respect for humanity. Now I'm challenged by tyrants. SHPD, Global Enlightened Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeartRadio, oh, heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put it, dash and row, southern com. I'm your hostess, at least most is, with te- technical difficulties out the wazoo today, <laughs> along with my oh-so-patient co-host and AOC fan, former Florida Congressman <laughs> Ted Yoho. <laughs> I couldn't resist Ted, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right, you know. Uh, it is what it is, you know. You know the funny thing about that. Well, number one, the dedication you just had for Mr. Lopez, Officer Lopez. You know, you yes. do this every week, and I say this every time, but I can tell the emotion in you when you put these out there and, and you do this. And you know, I know it's a great tribute to our first responders and our policemen. And um, you know, I don't believe you're calling for defunding of the police like uh, the person you just mentioned. No, I would never do that to my brother in blue. Um, yeah, and yet it does get very emotional for me. Uh, um, when you have worked side by side with people and you've known them personally, on duty, off duty, and it, it does become uh, as if a member of your own family, and it is a member of your family, the family of blue that uh, sure. you've lost. And even though I don't know, I know the emotions that are going through those that stand there and attend the funeral. I, I've had family members I've sat across the table from and not knowing what to say to them that have just lost a husband, a son, a father, 
uh, what do you say to them? Um, I think the hardest one was when Eddie Burns was killed, and he was a fellow uh, classmate in the police academy, and I mean classmate. Mm-hmm. When we ran gym, he was the tallest in his class, and I was the co- we were in sister companies, and I was the shortest in mine. So when they reversed the run, I was running on his heels, or he was literally running on mine. <laughs> yeah, we tripped each other a few times. Uh, we would study together. He ended up going into Queens. I ended up in Brooklyn. And, you know, when he was murdered on the orders of a drug dealer as he was guarding a witness's house, uh, that devastated all of us. Uh, And there were so many things that went wrong that day, you know. um, Things have changed because of Eddie Burns. And because of him now, there are certain uh, funds that Congress has now allocated, known as the Eddie Burns Foundation, for departments across the nation to get equipment and training and things because of the sacrifice he gave and the love his family has because his father was a police officer. His two brothers were also in NYPD. Uh, What they have given back to the community is uh, unbelievable. Uh, So, yeah, this this really does hit home to me. And, uh, yeah, I I can – there's a lot of times I'm glad the camera's not on me when I do it because there are tears running down my face. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's a constant reminder of why you have to have rule rule of law and you have to have respect for those rule of law and the enforcement of those the way they're supposed to. Not you get a breakdown of society and if you don't if you get that breakdown then you have anarchy and chaos and you know, in some parts of the country that's look looks like what it is. I mean, I know you'll probably go into what happened to uh, Paul Pelosi out there and of course we don't know the story on that. But um, you know, nobody's immune from it. No, no. And oh, there's little bits of coming back and forth on um, that. And uh, it, it, I'm, I'm going to say it may have been even someone he knew because it's how fast the arrest was made. Unless, like, there was right. security that that was let down on the – I mean, come on. This is the Pelosi's. They have to have security up the yin-yang. And the question is, how does the guy just get – walk up there and – deliver a, a tub of ice cream without them knowing it. <laughs> yeah, I would say that is a very, very good possibility. Uh, but, right. you know, it, there's, there's a lot of things that are like, they're, they're not exactly adding up. I don't know if you know what I mean, but it's, yeah. it's yeah. not. No, it's not. So where do you so want to go? We'll, you wanna, can, can we talk about Jennifer Say for a minute? Uh, sure, sure, absolutely. And unfortunately, Jennifer could not be with us. Uh, she had a family emergency, so last minute she had to fly out. So she's not going to be with us. Uh, but Jennifer has a new book that she was going to talk about that is actually going to be released November 15th. So you can go to Amazon and pre-order it, but November 15th is the actual release date. Um, and we do have our guest coming in on the on here, and he was able to... Okay. Dial in. I mean, you've got a bad luck okay. phone here, Ted. There's, there's, there's no other thing. Yeah. <laughs> you've got bad mojo in your phone. I don't know. I uh, do you think AOC uh, bugged it? <laughs> yeah, they may have me bugged or China. <laughs> can you guys Squad has your phone. Oh, yes, we can, Jay. Welcome to the show. I'm your hostess with the least most is the Radio Chickadee, Annie. And my guest co-host <laughs> is the one, the only, the infamous from the great state of Florida, uh, former Congressman Ted Yoho, which is why I'm busting his chops on AOC. <laughs> oh, of course. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Well, that's great. Well, I- 
I got to thank you for uh, willing to uh, become our guinea pig last second here. So I appreciate that very, very much. And uh, you've got a brand new uh, board game out just in time for this election cycle called the Election Fun uh, board game. Uh, I have a link to the website. Believe it or not, I have the, you in our show description. Last second, I managed to squeeze you in. Could not find a photograph of you, but I got pictures of your board game flashing around on the video here. So, <laughs> welcome aboard. Oh, great. Well, thank you very now, much. Now, tell us about this board game. And you've got now, now this, this, this is, you're going to have to have Drew make sure this happens. You've got to send me one of the board games. Well, after this, all you need to do is text me your address, and I will have one sent to you. Oh, absolutely. See, hey, I'm in. I'm in here. Watch that, Ted. <laughs> see how I work There it? you go. I see how <laughs> and you I do don't that. Have to, I don't have to answer to Congress for ethics either. By the way, Jay, do you take PayPal? Uh, no. <laughs> Good. No, PayPal. No, we don't. PayPal. We we used uh, we use Align Pay. Align Pay. I've never heard of that one. I've got to talk to you because I've used PayPal extensively for, oh geez, a couple of decades. Ever since eBay came out and partnered with uh, PayPal, and I've got like a credit card through them, a credit line, and all of a sudden now they want to find me twenty five thousand dollars for misinformation. Gee. PayPal, the election was stolen. <laughs> Watch me get hit for well, $2,500. We, we used the line pay because uh, it was an initial deal that Dan Bongino was backing, and, you know, we just decided to eliminate the Stripe and the PayPal, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, you know, I, I had my eye on this beautiful little Kimber 9mm, and I'm going, well, I can't use my PayPal card to pay for it. I don't think I might get censured and have my accounts all closed. But this, this is a society that we're, we're entering in. But you found a way to poke fun at, back at it and to open people's eyes on the election irregularities that have been out there. Now, I've had uh, Hans von – here I go. I mess up his name. I always say it so beautifully. Hans von Spakovsky of Heritage Foundation yeah. on numerous times. I, I, I love that man dearly. And he's been working hard to expose the election irregularities. And that's, you know, that's serious. People can look at it, but it's dry information. You make it fun. Well, that's, that was our whole point. The whole point was to invite, you know, opposing ideologies over and just discuss the facts as opposed to being gaslighted and, and dismissed and you know when we were putting this together uh got in in december of 2020 we were literally sitting in a duck blind all discussing going what in the world is going on and how in the world you know because you weren't allowed to discuss anything and then, you know, we kind of started talking about ideas, and I said, you know, and I'm not a board game player, per se, but I was like, well, this would be, you know, a great, quote, Trojan horse, if you will. And then we started, after the first of the year, when we kind of came up with the idea, um, you know, we focused on all the things 
Because, you know, all the things that you weren't allowed to talk about, which was, at the time, Russia, uh, COVID, um, the, quote, summer of love, uh, Hunter's laptop, um, all of, you know, uh, you know, campaigning out of your basement, not, you know, I just basically said to these guys, I said, look, everything you're not allowed to talk about are going to come to the forefront in a year. And so the board game is designed, like I said, um, at the very bottom of the game, it's Russia, the Russia hoax. Then you go up to the COVID. And then on the top are, is, quote, the summer of love, which was the, all the violent protests in the summer. And then, you know, on the right is um, all, the, all the nonsense, big tech, Hunter's laptop, et cetera. And then in the, in the inside game are all of the swing states that everything occurred in. And we basically hired a team of six researchers and to go find, because a, a lot of that, a lot of those articles and facts and things were eliminated. And so we found them all and put them in a, I mean, this game is kind of like a, Trivial Pursuit meets Battle on B. And so we wanted <laughs> to make it fun. We wanted to make it funny. We wanted you to invite, you know, opposing ideologies over. Because, I mean, the crazy dissension going on right now in the country is, it, it, it's literally, it, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. And so we just kind of wanted a fun way because, you know, the only answer you ever got was, oh, that's, you know, that's ridiculous. That never happened and nobody had any, you know, nobody did any due diligence or, 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 or cared to even look at discrepancies. So we put it in the board game, and uh, actually we're going to make a drinking game out of it as well. And <laughs> oh, geez. So I'll cheer to we that. Had, yeah, we had a <laughs> lot of fun doing it. And then we also have triggered cards which are all the things that, you know, I mean, you know, there are only two genders, climate change. I mean, we make fun of every single, you know, pronouns in your bio, you name it. We hit every hot spot on the trigger cards. And so we basically, we think we have made a really, really fun game. And then the interesting part of it is there are about, no, gosh, 16 cards in the game, and they have a QR code. And you can put your phone over the QR code, and it pulls up a mix of seven videos. And in those videos are all of the, you know, the videos that all have been taken down, you know. So, uh, you know, one of the videos is in 2016, you know, every Democrat was talking about the election being stolen or – the Dominion voting machines could be hacked or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we pull up all of the hypocritical, condescending videos, and so it makes it an interactive game. You know, while you're playing during the game, you can literally pull up these a packet of mixes and, you know, see, see it for yourself. 
That sounds like so much fun. Uh, right now, I've got a video that you have on your homepage, which is electionfun.com, uh, w- where you're showing people, you know, introducing the game and showing them everything on it. So the video you've got on there right now is playing up on the screen. So I didn't have a picture well, of you, but <laughs> but I got well, that going. Our, that, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's okay. But I mean, you know, again, this is all about the game, and so. Again, you know, we thought we put, you know, it's made the USA. We did everything that we could do, you know, to make it all, all, all the way it should be. And, you know, we, we think we've got a really fun product, and not only for midterms, you know, um, because, you know, I mean, look, Bannon calls it a heuristic device and a teaching tool for the midterms. Of course, that, that's great. But it's also coming up, I mean, it is a great Christmas gift for whatever, your father-in-law, whoever it is. It's a great Christmas gift idea, too. The liberal in your life. The liberal in your life. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you want to punk a liberal friend, send him a game. I was going to say, Annie, there you go, being divisive. (laughs) Well, but but it's all in – Again, it's all made to be in, you know, and fun. And and again, the game is fun. I mean, it really is fun. Yeah, I'll have uh, to try that you, game. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Ted. Absolutely. Now, where does Chinese hacking and influence on our election? Because right now, China is automatically starting the misinformation. Hello, PayPal. Listen to me carefully. China is doing information already. <laughs> misinformation so do you have that in the game or is that something you're going to look at in the future yeah that's probably more in the future now we can add that into the mixes but the great thing about the mixes are we can change them ongoing to meet the you know what because the the political environment changes so quickly we can add you know we can add mixes we can change them to always keep a current of what's going on politically but we didn't really drill a lot down with CCP. I mean, we just didn't. We we made it more, um, you know, with us and current. And so we don't, you know, now we, we did drill a little bit of it in the, on the COVID front, but, but not really, you know, their involvement in anything else. Well, you know, what is the EFN news team? Because I, I love what you did here, but I, I want you to tell us who these characters are, especially when we're talking about Dr. Richard Head. Well, that, that, that is our mockery. Uh, that, is our, uh, that is our, quote, world-renowned virologist, as a, you know, a.k.a. Tony Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I so wish I had Peter Navarro. It's a little fun on that, and the EFN is called the Election Fun Network, and they're all mm-hmm. avatars. And we created, we had a former Disney exec that kind of created our newsroom, and you know, we would love to really expand that and get that out because that you know it would be a lot of fun. Um, and we kind of used basically a knockoff on some of the personalities. Uh, you know, in a fun way, but yeah, Dr. Richard Head was, uh, that's our, uh, that's our quote, world renowned virologist. 
<laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm looking right now at Dr. Richard Head on the Internet, and there is a doctor that's a neurologist specialist in St. Louis. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah. Trademark. So he's going to get notoriety. (laughs) Slander. Uh Uh-oh, here comes the lawsuit. Oh, no. Sorry, he's a public figure. Yeah, first of all, we had no idea there, you know. But, I mean, it it, it was all, again, it's all in satire and fun. No, that's fine. Now, now, how Um, do you hook in the Electoral College? Because you have here for, you know, you have to collect so many votes. Okay, so every time you answer a question correctly, you get a token, and it's it's worth 10 electoral votes. And on the tokens, in small writing, it says, in Zuckerberg, we trust. And so <laughs> but every time you answer a question, you get 10, you know, you get a token, or it, that's worth 10 electoral votes. And you go around the board, and then once you get to 240 – Kind of like an election, you get to move to the or, or 24 tokens. You get to move to the inside game, and uh, you know, or you can buy. You know, we, we left the four big states in, so Texas, Florida, California, New York, and you can you know either buy those or land on those and get that state, and then you go to the inside game, and then again, when you answer the next three questions. Uh, you know, 270 electoral votes, you win the game. <laughs> wow, well, Ted, you're going to ask a question. Go ahead, Ted, because I, I cut you off. I'm sorry. Well, no, no. Um, um, you, were, you were saying in the beginning the divisiveness of the country is so ridiculous, and it really is. And if it wasn't so real, you know, it would be funny. But it's, it's almost like a Saturday Night Live skit, but unfortunately we're living it. Um, how, how have your sales been, which would, I guess, equate the feedback that you've been getting? And, and um, are, are they going up prior to the election? Are you seeing more people getting involved? Yes. Yeah, they've been fantastic. And, you know, I mean, the, the only problem we have is the delay in getting paper from the mills. Um, you know, it, it, the, the lag time – so. We ordered more games for this season, but the sales have been fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Oh, you know, no, and it, I think it, you're going to educate it, people in the meantime. Oh, yeah. Well, educate through people, the process. have fun, invite your friends over, and, you know, just have a discussion as opposed to, you know, you're an idiot and, you know, I mean, have fun. Yeah, have really. <laughs> like I said, if no, they don't agree with you, that's yeah, I suspect with some of those factions between a Republican and a Democrat that they, you might have to have liability insurance. Um, <laughs> just Idle jesting the there, just jesting. Yeah. Idle. Uh, yeah. What about, have you gone into ranked voting? Uh, there was a good article by uh, uh, Doris Kern Goodwin today on uh, ranked voting in Alaska. And um, we have it, it, it went into that. No, we have not. I mean, you know, we well, can good, all, you, you know, only cover so many things, and we tried to cover everything that, you know, that's now, I mean, you know, after, quote, the Durham investigation, and, you know, yeah. I mean, this was all done before that, but what we anticipated right. of all the things that you were not allowed to talk about. Right. I said, these are going to, in one year, these are going to be topics of discussion, and 
sure enough, it, it, you know, Russia and COVID are first and foremost, or, and then crime, and then, you know, Hunter's laptop, and, yeah. you know, all these things are now coming out that everybody was a conspiracy theorist and a, you know, denier and et cetera, et cetera. Well, they're now all proven to be, you know, factual. Yeah, there's not going to be a shortage of topics for you for new additions like rank voting and the, the nonsense of that. So, you know, I think you're going to have many new additions coming out or updated additions that will um, oh, yeah. do you well. Hopefully you'll educate the populace too. Yeah, but, you know, and like I said, I mean, it would, you know, especially over the holidays, it'd be a, it, it, you know, we kind of wanted to, you know, obviously the midterms and the war room has been so great in you know backing us and 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 and, and you know being a an advocate that they've been fantastic and uh but i mean you know it is a great christmas present and the one thing that we couldn't do anything about and which is is you know the shipping costs in this country are ridiculous. Right. And we just can't do anything about it. You know, I mean, you know, it, it, people are complaining, and I'm like, you know, I mean, we don't – we do not uh, mark up any of that. It's just whatever they charge, and, you know, it's just the way it is in this world right now. It's just, you know, the craziness of it. Yeah, well, this administration, that's the way it's going to be until we get somebody that wants to put America first and get a energy – secure or not not so much independence but energy security policy in place and and we have the resources to do that it's just the political nonsense that's going on now well it's just you know i mean you know that and quote ukraine is you know they want to you know assimilate ukraine and climate change to you know Soaring energy costs, and it's, you know, it, it, like I said, it, you know, it, I mean, as you said, you really can't make this stuff up. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, <laughs> you really can't make stuff up, especially, you know, I mean, I would like to survey a hundred parents and see how many of them think it's a great idea to talk to your kindergartner about, you know, gender identity or sex. I mean, it, you know, it's just, it, you know. I just like to know what the it, it'd be ninety eight to two. I mean, people again. This it, it, when your when your focus is on, you know, whatever. It, it it's just so out of touch. And I, what I think is going to happen is, you know, I mean, everybody's worried about, you know, when you when you don't know if you're going to eat or not, or be able to drive your car to work, you're not worried about a glacier melting in Antarctica. Okay, you're just not. <laughs> And right. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. And so, uh, you know, and all this, you know, like I said, all this crazy, I mean, these, I don't even know who these strategists are, democratic strategists are, but, you know, if they're paying, you know, some firm $5 million to focus on this, well, Tell them to send me a million, and I'll save them four, and just give them a couple, of, you know, layup ideas. Well, since you brought that up, I've got to add something if I can, Annie, real quick. I was on a congressional sure, delegation trip down in South America, 
and we are going through the Amazon. And the problem that you just brought up, the NGOs are behind a lot of this, the non-governmental organizations that get all this funding through different organizations like USAID and things like that. And so they take this money, and they're supposed to promote American policies. Of course, it's run amok since the Clintons, and it's focused on gender identity. And like you brought up the, the, the glaciers, we're down there in South America, and this real smug young lady who is with the NGO said, well, since you're in Congress, I guess you guys would kind of like to know how we spend your money. And she goes, 40% goes to this, 40% goes to this. Now, we're, at, we're on the river, the Amazon River. And she goes, and 20% goes to save the glacier. I'm like, 20% goes to save the glacier. What do you do, put sunscreen on it? You put a tent over it? You got refrigeration? <laughs> the people on the ground at the Amazon River, they want fresh water, potable water, maybe a little electricity would be good every now and then. Uh, they probably don't even know what a glacier is or where it is. And uh, that's the nonsense that goes on in Washington. With it's, these, no, There's no oversight on these like NGOs. Said, it's literally un, It's incredible who sits around and says, okay, let's not focus on immigration. Let's not focus on crime in the cities. Let's not focus on, you know, if you can afford to pay your rent or your heating bill or eat or drive to work. Let's focus on, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, again, climate change or, uh, right. you know, I mean, gender identity or, I mean. For a five-year-old. It, 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 it's unbelievable. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. You know, it reminds, you know what it reminds me of? It's that song that Ned Betty, Ned Betty sings in the best little whorehouse in Texas. I love a little <laughs> dazzle. You know, I, I just, yeah. I, I, I have Ned Betty dancing in the best little whorehouse yeah, singing that, that song. And yeah. I just, I, I, when when you hear these politicians, hey, Ned, you had that right on the head. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'll tell you another thing that is, you know, it's just the flap. You know, the American people are seeing their bills soar, their everything, and then when you get people come out and go, yeah, no, it's not happening. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's literally, it's, and it's every day. Like, yeah, no, can't hide your lying eyes. And that's why we had, a, you know, made part of this game interactive because I've got the exact, you know, clips uh, whether uh, of what they are of them saying the exact same thing. And they're like, nope, nope. It's, it, it, it's mind-boggling. And but I, you yeah. know, I do think uh, this is what we're seeing. And again, where I am, we're kind of insulated, uh, you know, by this. But um, it, you know, it's literally the most. I think, you know, again, I think the American people have had enough. I just think they've had enough. And it takes that was interestingly my campaign saying, slogan. Enough is enough. Yeah, our campaign slogan was had enough of, yeah, of well, the nonsense, I mean, and you picked the topic. We've had enough of that. Yeah, well, how about, you know, cashless bail or turnstile justice? I mean, that is, you know, I just can't even think of anything, you know, crazier. I mean, that alone you know, is disqualified. I'm, I'm trying. I used to have the video, Ned Betty uh, singing that song, 
and I just tried <laughs> to pull it up on the internet, and I can't find it. Would you believe that? No. And I put it in. Because you I said put it. Ned they Betty, banned it. Man. Whorehouse in Texas, and it comes up with Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton, but it doesn't come up with the best little whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> it doesn't come up with any of that. Would you believe that? <laughs> oh. No. Maybe you have to change that word uh, whore to something more politically correct. Oh, yeah. That's right. You don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> I would be politically completely incorrect if I said what was on top of my mind. <laughs> A certain caucus well, that just kicked out a Republican member because I didn't fit her. She didn't fit their, their criteria, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. Know, oh, yeah. Well, that people are just afraid to speak out and say anything because they have no idea what the backlash is going to get. Oh, man. Oh, this is, this is funny. I'm not even using Google. I'm using DuckDuckGo, which is supposed to be private browsing. It's supposed to get you past all the other BS, but it's not. It just brings you back to the – just to show who really is running DuckDuckGo, and that disappoints me. Anyway, go ahead, Ted. I forgot my train of thought. We were talking about getting knocked off. We're talking about it'll come back to me, Annie. Being afraid to speak up. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what it was. Thanks for paying attention. Um, I'm 67. <laughs> I don't know what you are, but um, we had Ben Shapiro at a conference in Washington, the Conservative Opportunity Society, which is a great group of just conservative members, and he was talking about that because uh, we were talking about college campuses and the liberal professors and. Uh, I asked him, I says, you know, students need to stand up and challenge these guys and call them out. He goes, no, that's the worst thing you can do. He goes, best thing to do is just shut up, get your good grade, go to get an MBA, and then uh, work against these people. And I, I understand what he's saying, but having been through college and all that stuff, I think you just need to stand up and challenge these guys and uh, call them out on it. Because people are waiting for leadership, and, you know, if nobody stands up and starts doing that, um, that's not going to change. No, I mean, and again, you're right, and, and it, it, it is literally a shame that we don't have more outspoken people in our own party, you know, and the and the and the the outspoken ones that do call it out are, you know, demonized. Yeah, we they sure do. <laughs> you get demonized real bad, and everybody's afraid of getting their feelings hurt. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And actually, I did find the video, believe it or not. I did. Heaven help me. I did find the video. And actually, I had was to go to Google. Was that Charles Durning? I thought it was Ned Beatty. Or no, Charles Durning, you are right. That's why I couldn't find it. I put the wrong person. Well, they're built the same way. <laughs> Short and dumpy. <laughs> oh, are you, please, uh, I didn't um, say that. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the, the board game, are you finding any certain topics that you're getting great feedback on or, you know, uh, people asking, uh, you know, you ought to put this in there or this topic or this, uh, change this? You know, no, not really. We're, but we're getting, you know, great feedback on how much fun it is and how they enjoyed it or, you know, things like that. And, you know, like I said, I, you know, I think it will be a really, really, really fun Christmas present. For someone that's hard to buy for, a fun gift, but, you know, no, I mean, you know, and, and that would be fine, 
you know, we're happy to, you know, take all the feedback we get. Um, but, no, we really don't get that. Well, you know, and then I, where I are you selling tea- that? Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I run a tea party here. If I put this out to the tea party and tell them to spread the word, I'm sure people are going to be scoffing enough for Christmas. I'll tell you that. Go ahead, Ted. I'm sorry. Well, I was well, going to say, where do to... people buy that? Do they go right to your website and then the cost of it? Yeah, you go to electionfund.com, F-U-N.com, and you order it right on the thing, it'll ship it right to you. All right. And what's the turnaround on that between the time they order and you ship out? Depends how much you want to pay for shipping, anywhere from two to five days. Great. They're definitely in time for Christmas. Plenty of time, especially oh since people are going to be doing most of their shopping before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I found no, some no, gifts absolutely. for some family members. <laughs> family members, you know, anything. And that yeah. would be great. Might have get to it get out it. to the tea party. I might have to give a copy of that to Paul Gosart for his family. <laughs> I think he's got nine <laughs> brothers go. and sisters, and and eight of them or seven of them are rabid liberal, and they're uh, they're they're going after them all the time. Maybe it'll settle some differences and bring them together. Well, I wish I I, I, I wish somebody would send one to every member of Congress. Yeah, really. <laughs> Red, you know, it, it looks so much, so like so much fun, and I, I can't wait to get it um, and start playing it because, believe it or not, my mom is just as conservative as I am, and God bless her, she had a stroke a couple of years ago, so she's been living with me. So if I'm not yelling at the TV, she is. <laughs> so. Well, you, well, you know, you it's go. one of those games. It sounds like one of those games that you know. The, the cardinal rule is you don't talk politics and religion with your family. But if it's a board game and it creates a heated discussion, some would call an argument, you can just say, hey, it's a game. I'm not saying that the game is. <laughs> <laughs> and you have cover. <laughs> well, the devil made me do it. <laughs> the whole point is to have to have legitimate discussions with people. I mean, the whole point is to have fun and have educated discussion. No, that sounds yeah, great. Exactly. It, it sounds like a lot of fun, and I can't wait to get my hands on it. And I'm going to tell people they definitely have to check this out by going to Election Fund, F-U-N, electionfun.com, and check it out, um, and have it shipped directly to their home or to the person you want to give the gift to with an anonymous card, <laughs> maybe. I mean, I'm just thinking ways to cause trouble here. <laughs> well, look, I mean, we want we want to get this in as many hands as we can going into the you know midterms and holidays, and so you know that it'd be great. Well, Alice, uh, Jay, uh, tell us about yourself and what made you get into this, uh, because from what little bio that um, uh, oh, oh, good lord, am I having brain farts? Drew sent me. Um, I didn't have a lot of feel of what I was going into with this uh, interview. And as I said, you said yes just about <laughs> an hour and 15 minutes before I was getting ready to go on air. So God bless you for jumping in and, and, and being a good sport about it. But tell us a little bit about you and what made you go down this path. Well, I mean, it was uh, just being 
a concerned American. I mean, you know, just being, uh, you know, I mean, just with all this, with everything going on, just, I mean, you know, like I said, people have had enough. And, you know, when you're not allowed to discuss something, then there's an issue. And, you know, we just wanted to be able to have a fun way of actual providing factual information to the American public. So it was, you know, again, I'm just telling you, and, and it's growing and growing, that I don't know what percent, but I mean, I would guess 80% plus of the population have had enough. I just think they I agree with that. I and, agree with that. I find it interesting. You, you, you came up with this idea in the duck blinds waiting to, to, for ducks to fly over. Must have been a slow duck day. <laughs> there was no question about it. Freezing my ass off in a, in a, in a and, but again, you know, I mean, everybody's like, what is going on? I mean, this is not like, this cannot be happening in the United States. Just cannot be. I get it every day. Every day, people are calling me and asking me that. You know, like, it used to be like. Yeah, it is. How is this possible? How have we devolved to this point where we are so divisive? But then again, we have now the ESGs, the equity, social, and governmental uh, ratings that are coming in that are going to replace credit ratings. We've got the diversity. Uh, was it DEI, diversity, equity, and I forget what the I stands for. Um, Quality now being or inclusiveness. Whatever. Inclusiveness, thank you. Uh, but it's anything but inclusive. It's exclusive. And heaven yeah. forbid you say something and you trigger someone else. Oh, gee, Anne, you look absolutely wonderful today. That dress really suits you. And all of a sudden I'm triggered. I'm sorry. Right. Our society has has gone just too far. The reality it of has. life is there are ups and downs, and occasionally someone may say something that it just rubs you a little the wrong way, but you don't have to go triggered and slam the door on them and cancel culture them. Enough is enough. If folks, you got to grow a thick skin. Otherwise, your life ain't worth crap. <laughs> you well, learned I mean, that in the law enforcement, yeah. Yeah, but, go ahead, but, but I mean, so if you have an opposing opinion on this nonsense, you are, I mean, and again, I think the media plays a big part in letting this, you know, happen. But I, I, I'm just telling you, I think it's 80 plus percent. And a lot of those people just like don't want, you know, they don't want the headache of, you know, of, of the blowback to say anything. You know, they, they just don't want to happen. And you know, you can't really blame them, but it's becoming it, – it, 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 it's taken to a level that has gotten to be so ridiculous that, uh, you know, uh, and it takes the population a while. But, I mean, they have now said, look, enough's enough. I mean, enough is enough. And I think no, we're going to find you... that as a – in, you yeah, know, 10 or whatever day. Yeah, we're going to find out real soon because it's going to blow back real soon and real fast. I think not 10 years or just any, a matter of just months. I think it's going to stop blowing back because you have that uh, study that just came out that 80% of Americans 
think this pushing the gender identity on kids under the age of 18 or 19 is just wrong. You now have a D.C. school district that hired a consulting company to put out a student survey asking them about their transgender identities. And a note goes to the parents for their child to opt out of the, the survey, but still it's asking kids in the grade suits 6 through 12. I mean, we have Planned Parenthood. Now their new mission is going for these transgender kids and supporting their new lifestyle. What the heck does Planned Parenthood have to do with changing the gender of kids and removing their sex organs? Oh, but that's right. The whole idea between Planned Parenthood is not to create Planned Parenthood, is to prevent parenthood, to prevent another generation of Americans coming into life. So what best, if you can't do it through abortion, then alter the child so they can never give birth. This yeah. is what our society has devolved into, and this is what we all have to push back against. And Jay, you're giving us an opening. You're helping us open that door and start the conversation. God bless you for that. Well, just like I said, we want it in every household in America. Yeah, Jay, you brought up something, you know, the media is behind all this stuff. But also think of the politicians. Think of your Maxine Waters. Think of Joe Biden when he gave his his speech with the red guards behind him and the red lighting at Philadelphia saying that if if you're a MAGA supporter, you're an enemy of this country, in essence, is what he said. If you're not vaccinated, you're killing people. If you don't wear a mask, you're the ones that are spreading this. And, you know, that kind of hatred and ignorance has no place in federal policy, any any policy in the United States of America. And that's why your game, your board game, I think, is very timely. Um, should have come out probably about five years ago. But, um, you know, it's never too late to get that out there, to bring out the silliness of what's going on so people really start to think and say, you know what, I hear this stuff on the news, and it, it's just garbage. And get people to go to an alternative news source and, you know, really make a difference in this country. And it sounds like you're on the road to do that with your game. I mean, you know, like I said, we're, we were – we started off as concerned Americans, and, uh, you know, I mean – and, again, I'm insulated kind of, you know, being in Texas. Uh, you yeah. Know, <laughs> that's just not that's just not tolerated here, and um, but uh, like I said, it is you, you know you you mentioned the thing eighty percent of the I mean just think of that other twenty percent how miserable and unhappy and I mean you know if your goal is to push gender identity on a six year old then you are out of shit to do. I mean, you know, that's just all there is to it. Yeah. You just, you just have nothing going on. No, I agree. No, and, and I you, agree. You, you've got these kids as young as 9, 10, 11 years old dressing up, you know, in the opposite sex and doing these drag queen shows. I'm sorry. I've got a big problem with that. You are sexualizing children. That's pornography. And why aren't these people being arrested and put behind bars? Oh, that's right. It's not politically correct. But it's still part of it. It's child abuse. Those parents should be held accountable. 
But for them, and it's free speech. Up. And, um, yeah. And look, I don't care, you know, anybody I, – I, and I have plenty of liberal friends. I, have, I, I do. And we have, you know, discussions all the time. But it doesn't make any, it doesn't mean we still don't go to dinner that night, or it doesn't mean we still don't go play golf. It's just, you know, if someone has an opposing ideology, that's their that's their right. But you know, it, it, it that's fine. I mean, we're all happy with that. But you don't try to destroy and demonize someone because they have an opposing ideology that is different from yours. I mean, you know, it it's it, it, Whatever your ideology is, that's fine. That's great. But, I mean, you know, and, and leave it at that. But this has gotten, you know, so crazy. And, I mean, it, 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 it's out of control and out of hand. Yeah, and, and like it, I said, I agree. people have had enough. Yeah, it's up to us, the adults in the room, to dial it back on the other side and say, wait a minute, we're just having a conversation. This is not a World War II battle. I mean, there's no need for the fireworks and the triggering. We're having a conversation. We can agree to disagree. We walk away and shake hands. I had a neighbor. She recently moved away uh, just around the time the pandemic came out, and we were on complete opposite sides of the fence. But we could meet each other in the local restaurant, share a cocktail together, have a bite to eat, but still have that conversation and still respect each other. When the hurricanes came through here, when Matthew came through here, she and her wife bugged out and I said, hey, listen, you know, I'm going to check on your house. I'll text you any photos, anything you need to be aware of, and I'll let you know if everything's okay. And I, I did that as a neighbor. And that's what we're, we're missing. We're missing that neighborhood feel because then yeah. you understood that hey, listen, you can tolerate someone from the other side of, of, of the political spectrum, but you're still friends and you're still neighbors and you can still break bread and have a drink together. It doesn't mean you have I, to destroy the other person's life. I agree. And I mean, just imagine waking up every morning, dying to be offended. And then once you decided you were offended and you have no idea who, who it came from, the next part of your day was seeing how miserable you could make that person's life. I mean, oh, yeah. like I said, you've just got to be out of things to do to have that be your day. Well, you this sure is do. Where also, this is also where we're losing the moral fiber because we always believed in a higher power, a higher purpose. So unless we have a goal to aim for, then you have nothing in your life. So what do you have to give you joy and happiness? Well, if you feel miserable, now you make other people around you feel miserable, and somehow that makes you feel better. And that well, is the mentality we're now facing. As long as they can make everyone feel as miserable as they are, they're not happy. Well, not only that, but there's going to be some people coming back as karma delivery people, and, you know, it's going to come home to roost because, like I, I think, and, you know, you see all of these polls all the summer. You're like, you know, so-and-so is voting for so – and you're like, no, no, there's, there's, just, there's just no way. And I think there is a – you know, like I said earlier, whoever these Democratic strategists are that decide they were going to focus on Dobbs 
defunding the police, climate change, and, you know, gender-affirming care as kitchen table issues as opposed to border security, crime, um, you know, inflation. I mean, things that affect every family. Uh, like I said, you know, if they're paying those firms a couple million bucks, well, send me a million and save yourself some money, and I'll help you out. Yeah. Yeah, and, and if you do find yourself on the opposite side of an issue, when you look at it, well, the the left is always very good at pulling at the heartstrings. That's something we have to learn how to do, because right here in my own county, we've got a referendum going on the ballot to increase a sales tax to do what? To buy green space. In other words, all the development, the overdevelopment that our county council has allowed for years, for decades to occur – Suddenly, they're sorry about that. So instead of using the programs already in place, already in county government, state programs, and federal programs to rein in growth and control it, no, they're going to abrogate their responsibility by placing a tax upon the people to create a whole new agency run out of the state capital, not here, not locally, to purchase up developers' land. So we're paying these very very developers they approve the properties for to not develop the property on the back of the taxpayer. So Ted knows Annie. Annie goes to bat, and Annie next week is going to have, in all the major local papers, half-page ads running. And the first thing they're going to read is it's going to say, save the green space with no new tax. And I'm using it looking like it's a Greenpeace person that's making the ad. And then I'm going after them. Are you aware your rent is going to increase? Are you aware that you're being taxed twice for the same program? And I go down a whole list and rip it apart. And I'm hoping I get the whole thing to fail. But I'm doing it with logic and with kitchen table issues. I'm saying they're going after your pocketbook. Our government, you elected them. They're not doing their job. This is a kitchen table issue. Because this is your local government, your local representative, and they're responsible directly to you. And that's how we have to look at this. And you, in a way, do the same thing with this board game. You bring it back home to the table and say, these are the issues. These are what we're dealing with. Now, let's have a little fun with it. I'm going for the jugular, but you're doing it with fun. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but I mean, it's just, like I said, the, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, I've got – I don't care what you're – if you're a good guy, I don't care what you're or, – or, or a good man or a good woman. I don't care what your your political affiliation is. If you're a good person, you're a good person. You know? And and yeah. whatever you want to think, it's your business. That's not mine. Yeah, but don't make it cost me money because you want to live your life your way. Don't force that on me oh. where it's going to cost me financially or personally. And, you know, it's – hey – you, whatever you do behind your door, I don't care. Just let me live my life yeah. too, as equally. And that's the difference. We're, we're forgetting that. No, 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 I agree. I, it's just that you know, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody. Uh, and now this will stop because you know what will happen is if there is this comes into fruition and there is a big takeover of House and Senate and. You know, I mean, I mean, at one time you'd have to think that this will stop, but you know, I mean, it's just 
it's almost like this group is like, you know, the child in the back seat that keeps screaming that they want ice cream and, you know, they throw a fit until they get it. And, you know, if you just say no, uh, I mean, well, I think this all comes to roost and I think all this nonsense stops and I think all of this, well, at least we hope it will. And um, it's going to take a bit. And, um, but it's, it is unbelievable when you look at some of these people you see on TV that they are actually elected officials in this country. I mean, mm-hmm. it, wonder, yeah. and the good people don't want to run for a government office because, you know, they go back to seventh grade that you did something, or, and that's all. They, it, it's all negative, you know. It, it, people just don't want their lives turned upside down. No, no. I, 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 I mean, what you went through, Ted, just in one little incident that got blown completely out of proportion, and the hell you oh, that went got so through. blown out of proportion. And, you know, I'm still waiting for a major news organization to come and say, why did you approach your colleague from New York? And then, and it's real simple. You know, she's telling people it's okay to shoplift in New York versus paying your rent, which you couldn't be evicted. And it's not okay with the shop owner that you're stealing the loaf of bread from. It's not okay with the police department that you've defunded. And it's not okay as a representative of the United States Congress to tell people to go out and break the law when there's social programs that could accommodate these people. But nobody asked me that in the media. And, you know, you talk about cancel culture. It was, um, it, it was a, it, it was a nightmare. And uh, going back to Jay's point, people don't want to go through that. People are not, if they do, they're going to be the go along or go along to get along or pay to play, you know, just so they have a position instead of really fighting for the very essentials of this country. And, uh, you know, I voted against VAWA, which is the Violence Against Women Act. And uh, I talked to my wife, and she said, I don't need a law to tell me violence against anybody is wrong. We've got enough of those on the market already. And the reason I voted against that was because it had morphed from what the Clintons put in there in '96. To, it was violence against all these specialty groups, you know, um, gay people in prison. You know, it was just it, it just got really crazy. And um, I was in Gainesville, and uh, we've got a very liberal group in Gainesville, and um, they were there for 45 minutes excoriating me, and I just sat there and took it. And I brought up what you just brought up about the conservation easements, which I believe in. I think there's a a good role for, you know, to take some of that land out of production if the farmer is willing to do that. But the city of Gainesville and Alachua County, they've got thousands, tens of thousands of acres, over 10,000 acres that they keep buying um, with taxpayers' money. And I told them, I said, instead of going to the federal government, to fund a, a program against violence against women, why don't you take some of the money here in the county and do the programs here to help, um, you know, women in that kind of situation and counsel the couples? It's a local problem. It's not a national problem. You need to deal with it here. And um, we ended the meeting after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
They didn't appreciate so, my frankness. <laughs> so, so is this a radio show? Uh, yeah, we, we're broadcasting on uh, here on Blog Talk Radio is the main uh, SHR Media Global Enlightenment Radio up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeart, uh, half a dozen other places. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> But I'm told on on one broadcast alone, one station that carries me alone, it's something like I get about 75,000 hits on their station alone. So I don't know how many I got. And one of these days I'm going to find a computer computer genius who's going to be able to help me figure this out. This senior citizen hasn't figured that one out yet. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, you know, I'll tell you what else this would be great. You know, I can, you know, the, the villages in Florida, I mean, this would be such a great, you know, to get that out in the villages. Where that it's would like be a great for you to bring that. You ought to call down there or reach out through Annie, and I can get you in touch with some people down there. They've got a very active community <laughs> in uh, a lot of different areas, but um, they're a very, uh, very engaged group. And I think I could see them sitting around in their conference room down there uh, having a social doing this game and having prizes for the winners. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. well we, we we have our version up here in Hilton Head, and I have the connections out there, so I can get this out to them also let them know. Plus, I've got a lot of other organizations here in uh, South Carolina that I can shoot the information out to and, and let them know to uh, check out the board game because it's an excellent, excellent Christmas gift to give out. But, Jay, you have been a great sport, and I want to thank you for joining us. It has been so much fun, and you did it last minute, and we're doing this all off the top of our head. So, and must say something that we're not that stupid, are we, Ted? No, I think you did good well, there, Amy. So get a game, and like I said, pass it around. Ted, you know, get get that to the villages. Get, I mean, all these pe- these people, I think, will love it. I think they would. No, I really do. I mean, that was a very active, engaged group of people, and there are different political philosophies down there. But if you can play a game and just enlighten them and um, – uh, let them see that, you know, maybe these things aren't so crazy and we're not that far off because when it comes down to it, we're probably closer together in the political spectrums than people think. But the news media, you know, the transgender stuff, the uh, this just ridiculous on the children. You know, I think all sides say, you know, this is not right. And uh, if we can laugh about it, I think we can make some headway in it. So I commend you for putting that together, and I I agree with Annie. I think you did a great job promoting this, and thanks for coming on. Well, I appreciate it, and thanks for having me, and, uh, you know, call me anytime. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you very much, and God bless for the hard work you do, Jay. All right, check it out, electionfun.com, election fun board games. It is. It looks so much a lot of fun, and I can't wait to get my copy and uh, sit my um, <clears throat> boyfriend down and have him play it with me. <laughs> hopefully hopefully oh, he's the same political persuasion. I know he would have to be with you. <laughs> well, yeah, I actually have him coming to my tea party meetings. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh man! Let's hope it's but, not culture shock. No, 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 it's not. It's not for him uh, because his family 
uh, fled communism. So he knows what it is, what it means to be here in the United States and the crazy stuff that goes on. And I think sometimes he proves to be a little bit more conservative than I am. <laughs> I have to take a step back and go, hmm, <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we're waiting for our next guest to call in, uh, Greg Cummings. And like I said, he's an old friend of the show. I've had him on, uh, and I haven't had him on in the last few years, and that's my bad. You know, over the years, you got to consider, I've been doing this since 2010, so I'm on my 12th, going into my 13th year doing this. Uh, come next year, will be into my 13th wow. year doing this. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, so that's why I have to up the game. I've got the video now going, but I haven't been able to do everything to get the Zoom calls in and everything else. I'm still working on that. I can be a little technologically challenged. Considering I learned how to do computers using key punch cards, that kind of like dates me, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I remember those days well. Yeah, do not fold, spindle, or mutilate. And everyone else is going, what the heck are you talking about? (laughs) Well, I remember Um, when we had to do that, those punch cards. And I'm thinking, this is so aggravating. Nobody will ever do this. This will never catch on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, if you you accidentally punched a hole in the key punch card on your electric bill, you may change the the decimal point in the wrong direction. (laughs) So, yeah, that caused a lot of problems. Oh, man. It sure Uh, did. Yeah. Yeah, people people don't realize now they pick up their their phone and they're paying all their bills right on their their phone, and I, I pity these poor people that lose their phone or end up buying a new phone and then they have to reprogram everything back into it. Holy moly! And I hope that they erase all that's the like, old information before they turn the old phone in. Yeah, that's like a nightmare to lose your phone nowadays or an iPad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you, I'm reading a book right now. Go ahead. Uh oh. Oh, you're reading a book. Uh-oh. Actually, I got three going. <laughs> but the one is War by Other Means, and I just met him. Heath Kellogg, he's mm-hmm. a general, and he was general in the Trump White House. And his book is just real matter-of-fact, strong conservative. And um, um, you were talking earlier about, you know, how that your boyfriend came from a communist country. And then here Keith Kellogg was talking about how the liberal movement today was socialism, Marxism, going into communism in America. And uh, he would be an interesting guest to get on your program. Yeah. When you, when you look at all that we're being inundated with, the SEGs, the DEIs, the CRTs, the alphabet soups that we're being given, and it's all basically the same social Marxist, Marxist propaganda and dogma. That is being shoved Con- down on the road. Yeah, and so that's the idea. The divisive, the diversity is actually from the word divide, the Greek word divide. And so that was the whole idea to separate away from. So when you're saying diverse, you're actually separating instead of uniting. The uniting principles that we have with our founding documents did not divide people. It united, and what people fail to realize is it was the chief of the Iroquois tribe that went before Continental Congress and laid the basic foundation for our Constitution by uniting, and he actually went 
to that Continental Congress when laying before them the principles of the Constitution, of a united, a universal idea, because it was uniting seven Iroquois tribes into one. And his demonstration would be done normally for children, but we're babies, we're the new Americans. He took a single arrow in his hand, and he said, as you stand alone as a tribe, this is how strong you are when you come and face opposing forces. And he broke the arrow. Then he took a whole fistful of arrows, representing the, all the tribes of the Iroquois, united under the Confederacy. And that's what they called it back then, the Iroquois Confederacy. And he called on the strongest person in the room before that Continental Congress, called them forward, handed them the, the arrows that he wrapped in twine, tied together. He says, now break it. And he couldn't. The strongest man in the room could not break those arrows. And he said, that is the power of your confederacy. That is what you need to have in your constitution. And that is how you must form your government, united. And this was from someone that was not a white conquering Christian. And we were not. We were escaping. We were escaping being... uh, for religious and political liberty. We fled. We were not here to conquer. We were here to form our own independence right. and freedom. And we That's united a analogy. We united Asians, Indi- American Indians, the colonists. We had black, white. We had everyone together. And that was the idea in the Declaration of Independence and the original Constitution. It was only Finally, when the South protested and threatened to walk away over the issue of slavery, but we laid the foundation to come you less. You mean the Democrats? Less than a, oh, yes, the Democrats. <laughs> less than 100 years ago, 100 years later, less than 100 years later, we laid the foundation to abolish slavery. So when people sure turn did. around you know, and, Go ahead. Curtis, Curtis does such a great job going through the Democrat Party's history in his different books, uh, Truth Versus uh, uh, the Democrat Party. I mean, he just lays it out so nicely in there. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And yeah. someone in our, uh, listening in, in our studio, Sweet Sue, sent me a, a link to the uh, Pelosi attack that we were talking about earlier. Uh, yeah, um we're waiting to see what comes out of that. There's, there's some things that just seem a little hinky. With their security system, how did this intruder get through? And how were they able to identify who it was? Now, supposedly the garage door was spray-painted with graffiti, and there was a pig's head nailed to the front door. I'm sorry. This is the Speaker of the House's home. There is security on it 24-7. So there are some hinky things here. Uh, just, you know, the graffiti and the out. pig's head, that was done earlier. That was done after one of the, the votes on uh, the taxes and something. I don't think that happened uh, at this one, did it? I, I'm, I'm Like I said, I'm waiting for the reports. I only got like a little bit here and there before we went on air. Um, so we'll see what happens. So can thank I, you can for I sending ask that about, out. Can I ask you about that guest we we're going to have on? Because I wanted to ask her some things, and I know she, in her bio, it says she was left to left of center and a progressive. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, she falls into the AOC categories and those other ones, you know, the left liberal progressive elite. And she went through a situation at Levi Strauss to where um, the wokeness got her and she made a stand against them and decided to leave a 20-some year career, which I commend her for. Um, but I see this with people like Bill Maher, too, who is just a left, left elite progressive, always bashing the right side and what we're trying to do to correct the course of the nation. But then they get to a point to where they're like, oh, wow, this is really off track. And I wanted to, I'd like to ask them both, do you feel responsible for supporting a left agenda for so long? You know, I'm not holding that against you because I'm happy that you've seen the light to a certain extent. I don't know if they'd ever vote for Trump, but, um, you know, do they feel responsible for falling into the liberal left progressive agenda and then all of a sudden seeing a wake-up call and uh, now they're fighting against that to a, to a certain extent? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? That would be a very, and I didn't want to very... offend her. That would be a very, very interesting question. I know I do agree that would be something worthwhile to ask um, because uh, what I was reading in the write-ups and everything else, it seems that she didn't have a complete 100% change of heart and also she's now a full-blown conservative. She still has, right. from what I was reading, some tendencies to lean a little bit more to the liberal ideology. But she is battling the wokeism and saying, wait a minute, we have the right of free speech. And she's starting to realize that, hey, listen, there are different sides. There's not just two sides. There's multifaceted sides to any and every argument. And the only way we're going to get to understand and to cooperate and work with each other is through conversation and dialogue. And when she found that was being yanked out and she wasn't allowed any longer to speak because it didn't fit the mold they wanted her to be fit in. Uh, that's when she was actually forced to resign. So there's also questions whether or not she has any sort of legal recourse or whether or not she would even take it because she was offered a $1 million severance package if she uh, signed a non-disclosure notice, which she refused to do. And bless her for that, because she is speaking out. Oh, yeah, I commend her for that. I'm dying to read her book, which is coming out on the 15th of November. Yeah, I I would just like to to kind of delve into their mindset, because I've done that with Ro Kahana, who is just a liberal progressive out of Washington State, actually from Pennsylvania, but he moved to Washington so he could run for Congress. Uh, Second-generation Indian, super, super nice guy. But we're 180 degrees apart, ideological about this country, and being the constitutional republic it is. And you know, I had in-depth conversations with him and other members of Congress, as I was trying to do from my uh, colleague from uh, New York. But um, I guess she did. It was too much in depth for her. (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, I, I used to ten bar. And I had a lot more going for me in upstairs uh, than uh, this other bartender from New York. And, uh, yeah. Anyway. But then again. But, I mean, we, uh, had, we had great discussions with Ro Kahana and um, uh, Jay Paul, uh, Pamela J. Paul, who is the head of the uh, uh, Progressive Caucus in Congress. Very smart lady. But, again, we just had different philosophies and Ted Deutsch and, 
so many people I serve with, and I would have these conversations, and it just perplexed me how they can think the role of the federal government is to do what it's doing today, and you know, and, and uh, it's just interesting to have those those kind of conversations. Well, unfortunately, there is no prerequisite for an elected official to number one having read the Constitution, much less know what you're pledging to uphold. And there's there's no prerequisite that they should be aware of what is in there and what is permissible and not permissible. What is the function of the federal government compared to what the state or local government is is responsible for? And these lines have been blurred over the last two centuries to the point where, I'm sorry, Congress now tells me what sort of light bulb I can or cannot buy and what sort of toilet and how much water it can flush. I'd say the federal government has now overstepped their bounds. But, oh, wait a minute, but they you did think? this some 15 years ago. And it's been ongoing yeah. and ongoing and ongoing. You know, what you just said about holding – Making sure the the uh, the people running for office have read the Constitution. I've got a good acquaintance of mine, and he's a very wealthy man. He's out in California, very conservative, and I met him through a House Freedom Caucus function. And he and like-minded wealthy and regular people have come up with the American-made promise, a roadmap back to freedom through prosperity. And they're asking for citizens to sign this. And if it's okay, I'll send it to you. Oh, please you do. It. Please do. And if you think it's okay, and what they're asking is the American people have a choice. We can either surrender to the expansion of government and submit to creeping totalitarianism, or we can fight for the rights and liberties that guarantee, that guarantee our freedom and prosperity. We, the underside, publicly, the underside publicly pledge to our fellow citizens that we will devote our lives to restoring an American under we the people. And they've got, I talked to them uh, three weeks ago, and they had over 200,000 signatures. And this is something they had just put out. And this is a message to the American people, but more so to the, Ameri- or to the, to the politicians, but more so to the federal government, we are going to hold you accountable. And these are the kind of movements I think – if we get out there, and as you know how uh, powerful the grassroots movement is, being a, one of the leaders of the Tea Party um, revolution, um, this is something I, I think there will be a groundswell. So I'll get this to you. Oh, yes, please, please do. Because uh, we we're not going to have a meeting in November and December because it's always just too close to the holidays. And then again, the election right. is over. It gives, it gives us two months just to catch our breath just to just let it all wash over us and start fresh anew at the beginning of the new year. Uh, I've always done that, and it's always worked wonders because come January, we, we always have a packed meeting. You know, coming close to the election, yeah, it's going to get really busy and packed. But then sure. again, this, this time around, I had a lot of my members that ended up volunteering to pe- become poll workers and poll watchers, which is what we needed. We had a record number of people signing up to become watchers and workers. And they were inundated. They were just training people constantly, constantly. And they had so much that they have an overflow of stuff, which was good because now you can rotate the workers and get more fresh sure. people in. Because you work an eight-hour shift, that's a long day. That is a that's long, a long day, day sitting there. And if you're standing there as a watcher. they've got another job too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know, that movement is going throughout the country. I had a call today from one of my old clients, and they were great supporters when I was in Congress. And his wife was an uber-liberal Democrat when they got married. And they've been married in the 20s, uh, 20 years. But now she just got a position with the Republican Executive Committee in Latchway County. And she is just angry about what's going on in the country. So she's had a, a, a metamorphosis in her development um, from a uber liberal to a staunch conservative. And she's a poll watcher. And he says she just growls all the time, which is funny, because there was an article, um, I think it was Victor David Hansen uh, today, talking about the race in New York with uh, the governor Holcomb against Lee Zeldin. And how she's in denial about crime and all this. And, and the, the whole thing was the Republicans, are just they have this anger, this, this growling, like, they, can't you see what's going on? And so there's an awakening. And I think Lee, you know, he, he, he came in a year uh, Congress after me, but just a super strong conservative. And I think they're going to take, you know, not just the House and the Senate, but I think they're going to take a lot of the governorships. Uh, well, I hope so. And and that uh, Dr. Jensen, I was really looking forward to talking to him because he he's from Minnesota and that's where I was born. And Tim Walls served with me, and he has just been a disaster as a governor. Just you know, he just has rolled over and wet on himself like a little puppy dog. Uh, he's not gonna he's not gonna challenge any of the wokeness or the CRT or any of that. He's gonna go along with it and it's destroying that state. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it looks like uh, my other guest can't tell time. Uh, he's, uh, he's just texted me uh, right now. So yeah, so I'm just telling him to call in right now. <laughs> so he, he's going by his time zone, and I'm in my time. I, I always say, you know, every single time I send an email out, I say EDT, Eastern Date Time. Right. Right. No, I mean, those things happen. And, you know, we do meetings around the world now and it it gets complicated. Um, But that's all right. There's plenty to talk about, Um, you know, with the the, uh, Governor DeSantis race in Florida. Is uh, Mr. Cummings going to call in now or is he? Well, he's calling my cell, which doesn't do anything because I can't. Oops, I just gave him the wrong number. I'll let you deal with that. Right now. <laughs> but what oh, I was saying is Governor DeSantis in Florida, he's raised, I think, is $180 million to Charlie Crist. Uh, I think he's got $17 million or less than $50 million. And mm-hmm. um, it, it's just funny because Charlie Crist was our governor in Florida as a Republican. Yeah, I remember. Then he, yeah. Beca- then he became an independent. Then he became a Democrat. And the poor guy has been in politics all of his life, and he, he doesn't want to leave. In fairness, there were bills that I talked to him about. We had a great guest worker program for immigration for guest workers. Um, and um, I went to Charlie's office, and he was one of the most astute listeners I've ever seen. He, he leaned in. He was listening. Um, but his politics are just whacked, and we've seen that. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> this this – the Miami Herald, which is, you know, New York Times, I think, owned, uh, yeah. or one of the New York papers, 
um, they came out and endorsed Charlie Crist. And the Democrat pollsters and, um, you know, the Democrat uh, operatives for campaigns said there's no way Crist can win in Florida. He goes, the only way he could win in Florida if Ron DeSantis campaigned for him for the next five, three to four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, that's that's pretty pathetic when the Democrat pollsters are saying the only way he can win is if DeSantis goes out and campaigns for him. Um, and and so we're seeing a change in the country. And, you know, we saw the Rubio-Valdemings uh, race in the debate. And, you know, after the debate, the polls were done over the phone, and it was in a liberal area. And, of course, Val Demings won. And, you know, there was no way. I mean, Marco, he was so focused, he answered, I mean, very succinctly. And Val Demings, you know, and I've described her this way, and I hope this isn't going to get thrown off the, the air, but she's an angry black woman. I mean, I, you look at her, you look at her expression on TV, she was just angry. And, you know, people look at that, and, and her whole thing is, equality, racism, systemic racism, and things like that. And when you look at our country today compared to where it was in the 60s when we grew up, we saw the evils of racism. I mean, we saw the uh, uh, colored entrances, uh, white entrances, colored drinking fountains, white drinking fountains, and we went through integration, we went through the riots, and we've come out and emerged a better nation. These Democrats today are trying to take us back to an era that we don't want to go. No, we don't. But it looks like we may have our guest in on the line, even though we have a lot of confusion today. It has been one of those days. If anything can go wrong, does go wrong. want to welcome back. It's been a while. Greg Cummings. Good afternoon, Greg. How are you? Outstanding, and thank you for having me. I apologize for the lateness. Yeah, well, I always put in EDT. Uh, after each time, so Eastern date time. And, hey, next time I have to do military time with you. How's <laughs> that? <laughs> Yes. Well, you've got a new book out. Uh, you have those continuing the mission set of books, and this one is We the People Handbook. And it gives people an idea, which is what uh, a former congressman, Ted Yoho, who is my guest co-host today, and I were talking about, oh, is uniting, uniting people uh, on issues and getting the word out and having that dialogue that is needed, not a divisive one, but one that unites. And something you address in your book, the difference between diversity and university. Tell us about this book and where can people find it? Yes. So, um, again, I, for having me on. So uh, I, I was in the middle of writing another book. Uh, about our, our our veterans and the warriors who fought in the wars of this country, and um, but I kept getting asked because I do a lot of lives, and I kept getting asked, Greg, what else can we do other than vote? And I spent many years with the uh, uh, the national organization work, working in all fifty states, trying to uh, teach people how to get involved in their local, state, and federal politics, and for a reason. And uh, uh, that that biggest reason is being that we are a republic, and 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 what that means for we the people, right? And our role as the people of this country. So I sat down and I mapped out this book, and I knocked it out fa- fairly quickly in about uh, four, four to six months, and. Um, uh, 
so much so that after I published the original version, uh, there was so much more that I needed to, to put in there. So I already have, have put in a revised edition. And you and it and it is called Continue the Mission: A We the People's Handbook, and um, the revised edition. And you can get it in Barnes and Noble and, and uh, a- Amazon, and it's in ebook form as well. And later this spring, I'm I'm going to have it put in audio format. But uh, it is very important that we um, pretty much re-educate ourselves on the foundation and what our founders envisioned uh, for we the people to be at at, at the top in authority in this country. And and so I took it there. Um, The very beginning, um, like Rush Limbaugh, there was a problem of history and politics being a dry read, right? Not very exciting. And so what Rush Limbaugh did when 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 he wanted to put together a a US history series for kids um was that same problem. So he invented a character and and uh it was like a time traveling Paul Revere. And, and and so as the kids would read through these these, these history books, this Paul Revere, this time traveling Paul Revere, would go through and explain to the kids what they are 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 reading now. So I took that concept, and as a veteran, and uh, I got a huge huge network of of, of people in the veteran community. Um, but the the uh, the the warrior mentality is really big right now. So I I took the lead of Rush Limbaugh, and I uh, ha- had a friend that actually uh, does um, uh, live in cosplay as a female Viking warrior. So I had her do a, a, a photo shoot for me, and uh, the book starts off as a short story explaining to to the 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 reader or showing the the reader um that this individual warrior is wait, waiting to go on a hunt she goes on a hunt and and I'll paraphrase here I'll try to make it quick and during this hunt she knows that she's supposed to get enlightenment because it's a coming of age hunt and it's on a full moon and she comes up on this book and she starts reading this book and, and, and she's turning the pages before she knows it. She reads the whole book and for the first time she looks up at the reader and she says, this book is for you. She's talking to the reader of the book. This is about your people. So the reason why I did that is to, to take the reader, you, out of the bubble of society today and try to look back into what our founders envisioned for this country. Okay, so the rest of the book is has a short paragraph of this warrior telling the reader what they're about to read and why it's important. So I I put our, our sacred documents at the very beginning, the uh, Declaration of Independence, Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. And then it it gets in more in depth of of explaining who we the people are 
what your role is as a a citizen of this country and where you are in the hierarchy of our republic and and how and how that looks so the rest of the book is doing that very thing um there's there's uh things in there on preparations there's things on there of 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 ideas that you you have to understand uh so 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 that you can identify um your 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 role as a citizen in this country um but the whole book is laid laid, laid out in, in in that format well yeah cuz you you talk about uh doing the we the people uh groups and you're saying different ways to communicate your message and the, one of the main techniques you have is word of mouth but that's what social network is and yet you have social network media chat separately but yet word of mouth is now used mostly through social networks that's if the social networks let you on there because i just posted my show on two other facebook pages that i run and as soon as i did that i got a message back saying that the administrator denied access hello i'm the administrator (laughs) they told me i can't even post on my own page but you know, word that's of mouth is very. Personality of yours, Annie. jeez, oh, that's why I was born a Gemini. <laughs> that's got to be the excuse. There you go. But you know, um, one of the things I always urge my members is to contact not just your elected officials, but write to the newspapers, to the media outlets, whether it's radio, TV, or newspapers, to write. And write often. And we're fighting an issue here, a referendum, and I gave everyone talking points. This is, there's a whole list of talking points here. Pick two that you feel very strongly about and write on those two. Don't try to write on all of them. Don't try to write about yeah. five of them. Pick two that people can identify with, that you identify with, and you, and you can write powerfully about, and send a letter to the editor. And, and I think yeah. that's what we need to get people to understand. Yeah. So um, on 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 that piece. So um, again, I, I took it from the very basics, right? So what if you didn't have your internet? What if you didn't have your phone? What if there was absolutely uh, everything was shut down to where you could not communicate through through the, uh, these the, the, these these means that that you're used to now? So you have to develop first a word of mouth technique to where you're actually going out and meeting people sit down and and meet with with with, with your uh uh mayor sit sit down and meet with your school board members and your city council members and your neighbors even and 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 start creating first a little black book of your own uh and just go out you even if you're an in, an introvert this this exercise Will, will will get you involved within the community, right? It will get you involved, engaged in a unity uh, development of we the people. So when when, when you do that, then uh, I, I I talk about phase one being your local group membership networking, right? So so join your local groups and and in your group start start sharing with each other. What was that? What happened? Oh, we just lost our guest. We lost our yeah, guest. Yeah, I think Ted. so. Yeah. 
Uh, we've been having a yeah. problem with the, the switchboard here, and it looks like Mark Tapscott's been trying to call in, and he's unable to call in, so I may have to dial him directly. So if everyone would just bear with me, and as I do that, Ted, um, I'm going to let you take over for a few seconds while I do this. How's that sound? All right. Well, I'll be here uh, waiting for you. Um, okay, be back no, in a second. I, no, there's so much we were talking about the races that are coming up, and I know Mike Lee in Utah, he's having a challenge with an independent that was a Democrat that switched. Um, but I think the people today are waking up, as the uh, Jay and uh, Mr. Cunningham were saying, you know, people are waking up, they've had enough, um, which I had to laugh at because that was the uh, slogan for our campaign was had enough. And, uh, you know, with the elections just, oh, what is it, 10 days away roughly, um, I think we're going to see a change. And it was interesting because I was talking to some ex-military and uh, conservatives up here in the North Georgia region, and they were saying that if the election has a big red wave, they predicted there will be uh, increase in Antifa and Black Lives Matter and that whole movement that we saw prior um, or during the Trump administration. And uh, it's just kind of interesting how history will repeat itself. Um, you know, and when, when I go out and talk to people, and I get a lot of people calling me, uh, the people that I associate with, they have this feeling of apprehension that things just are so out of kilter um, that they don't know what direction to go or, you know, where their country is. They don't recognize their country. And I know a lot of you guys feel like that too. And um, and that's why you're tuning into a program like Annie's. And thank God she's out there to talk to people. But it's the engagement. We can all complain about the situations, what's going on. We can blame a party. We can blame uh, a president, whoever, but it comes down to us, we the people, of what we're going to do about it. You know, we're at a point now where I can't change what happened in the past, but I sure in the heck can change what's coming at us. And uh, I know a lot of you feel like Annie and I do. We just don't accept what's happening. Annie, are you that back? That is, yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, I am right now. Uh, I, I cannot type. I cannot do anything at the same time. I cannot walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. Uh, anyway, we got our next guest, Mark Tapscott, my dear friend uh, from the Epic Times. He's also uh, the founder of Hill Faith, which you probably are familiar with since you were up there on the hill with him. Sure. Um, Mark, sure. good afternoon and welcome back. And I'm glad to see you with, with us. And our prayers still go out for the continued healing of your wife. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. And um, howdy. Everybody, <laughs> you you, we, you we greet have... people like I do, and when yeah, you well, say howdy to a lot of people in Washington, they just kind of look at you funny, like just what did he just you, say? Yeah. <laughs> people oh, from man. the real world. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know you're an outsider if you're if you're if what we call it, you're a come ya. You, you recently come here to the south. You're not born yeah, here, here, and you start saying no. y'all. <laughs> is a problem here because no one down here says y'all. <laughs> oh man, yeah. oh Mark, yeah. I don't even know where to start with you today. Holy cow! Has a lot been happening. A lot has been happening. Um, I tell you, I was. Um, I'm, I'm actually at my son's Bedlam Farms. 
um, estate down here in Richmond. Um, it's not really an estate estate, but it's a nice big house that he's just built, and I'm proud of him. Um, and we were just talking about election night, and, you know, there is the prospect of your um, previous guest was just discussing. You know, none of us would be surprised if things go the way they appear they're going to be going um, to see lots and lots of violence from the left. And yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's not the America that I grew up in. <clears throat> it's not the no, America I want my grandkids to grow up in either. No, and it's funny, Go just ahead. before coming on the show, I was posting the show up on Facebook, and all of a sudden this little pop-up came from Facebook saying, as of November 1st, we're banning political ads. Yes. Wait a minute. This was Facebook, the one that was responsible for the most pro-liberal number of ads that actually influenced the outcome of the last election. Now we're no saying doubt. they're banning all political ads. I'd like to see how they're really going to do that because, you know, it's going to be conservatives are banned and everyone else goes through. You know that's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Mark Zuckerberg and his wife contributed um, about $400 million to, uh, I think it's half a dozen liberal nonprofits that conducted a massive voter registration campaign that they did in targeted Democratic precincts all over the country. They and sure there, is, there is no question that, that that had a major impact on the results. Wasn't this the same Zuckerberg that was telling uh, felons in Florida they would pay to have them register to vote? Gee, isn't that in violation of election law because you're paying someone for their vote? Well, I seem to remember something like that. Florida. No, yeah. they definitely did that. There was no doubt. Yeah. And, you know, Mark brought up what, what Zucker, those Zuckerbucks are doing. If you look in Wisconsin and go through the stories how the Zuckerberg people, and I forget the guy's name, but he came in there and basically took over the election office of an elected fit, an official, the election uh, uh, supervisor of election, and basically took over that office, and um, the uh, people were intimidated to push back on it. And yeah. they definitely influenced election. And, you know, I know if you say the word fraud, election fraud on your program, you'll probably get uh, banned, Annie, but you didn't say it, I did. <laughs> well, you know, I'll still get banned, one don't place, worry. <laughs> one place she doesn't have to worry about being banned, at, at least probably not, um, is Twitter, because Elon Musk, the, I'm, I am given to understand that the first three people he fired were the CFO, the CEO, and the attorney who is credited, quote-unquote, with being responsible for getting Donald Trump uh, pushed off of Twitter. So if that's an indication of what Musk is going to do with Twitter, I think that's, uh, that's an encouraging sign. Yeah, I'd like to see yeah. Musk Bucks go into this election. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. And the next one. <laughs> even though Musk it took bucks. me about hey, that six sounds months. even better than Zuck Bucks. Yeah, yeah. Musk Bucks. <laughs> but it took me about six months to finally get onto Truth, uh, uh, his website, Truth. Social. Um, Truth but Social. finally got on there. 
yeah, truth social. Yeah. There, that that one. So yeah, I, I'm in so many different places. I don't even know where I am anymore. Holy moly! That's good. Um, you're you've growing. Got, you're growing. I am. My mom keeps on telling me I am gruesome. I am the most gruesome person she knows. <laughs> no, I said growing, growing, not gruesome. Growing. <laughs> uh, well, listen, Mark. Um, heading into the election, you wrote an article that House. Republicans are planning an onslaught of investigations against the Bidens and all their ties to the virus and China and everything else that's going on. Do you think this is going to have any effect on the outcome of this election coming up next week? Well, I'll I'll be very honest with you, Annie. Um, Having been in Washington for low these many years and having actually worked on the Hill for a couple of Republican congressmen and a Republican senator and then becoming a journalist uh, and covering the Hill for in national politics all these years. The biggest question to me is not whether or not the Republicans will, will retake control of the House and, and I think probably, very probably the Senate as well. But whether or not once they, on January 3rd, are sworn in and they have control again, will they actually do what the Constitution gives Congress the power to do, to force the executive branch to stop doing the things that they've been doing? Amen. Uh, And and will they have the political will – to conduct the kind of investigations that we all know need to be conducted. Um, And then when they recommend prosecution to the Department of Justice, which Biden will still control, um, they're going to have to decide then, okay, they're just going to, the Department of Justice will just sit on those recommendations unless Congress starts impeaching people in the Department of Justice. And I'm that, not convinced that – well, I, that, I think a lot of people would love to see that, but uh, I'm, not con- I'm not optimistic that um, that scenario is in the cards, unfortunately. No. And the first person I'd throw the um, impeachment on would be Merrick Garland. But I always ask people, did you ever notice how much Merrick Garland looks so much like Anthony Fauci? Have you ever noticed that? I have not noticed that, Annie. (laughs) Well, I actually have a mime where I have the two of them side by side, and every once in a while I'll flash it up on the screen. Well, yeah, Merrick Garland and Anthony Fauci look so much alike. (laughs) Well, I do kind of. Do you remember the song by Patty Duke, Cousins, Identical Cousins? (laughs) They both have guilty looks on their faces, I'll tell you that. There you go. That's a good way to put it. Mark, let me ask oh, yeah. you, um, uh, you know, I agree wholeheartedly with you. I think the Republicans will take charge, and uh, I, my concern is what they're going to do with that power, what they're going to do. Yeah. And I know the American people, when you look back when I was in there, we had Benghazi hearings, and we had hearings, and we had hearings, and nothing came of that. Um, right. There was so much damning evidence, and then we had the lowest learner thing with the, the FBI and things like that and nothing came of it. And then uh, to go into these investigations, if they're going to do the investigations, 
the American people, I feel confident from being in there for eight years talking to my constituents and people around the sure. country. If you're yep. going to do the investigation, follow through. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring up something on Jim Jordan. Um, I like Jim. Jim's a, a fighter. I mean, we see him on the TV. But we had an opportunity to impeach uh, Koskinen uh, with the IRS, I believe he was. Yeah. And um, he's he's the one that directed uh, Hillary Clinton to uh, bleacher hard drive and screwdrivers and all all that crazy stuff. And so we had the the information enough information from these hearings to impeach him to the point where uh, Jim put in a resolution for impeachment. I signed it. It went to Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan came to Jim after a recess and asked him to withdraw that. In the uh, for the the trade off was to do more hearings and Jim came to me and says Ted he goes uh, are you okay if we pull that uh, impeachment resolution and I says for what reason Jim and he goes well Paul said we can do more hearings on this and I says absolutely not I said what are you going to find in more hearings that yeah. are going to incriminate him more than we already have we need to impeach and exercise the power of Congress you don't have to do it many times but if you send that signal. The yes. other people are going to tighten up, and, and you get their attention. And that's where my fear is if they go in there and they elect Kevin McCarthy, and I like Kevin as a person, but he's going to play the political game that he's only known to do. And there was a great article, I think it was in Epic Times, about him. It might have, I think it was in your paper where it just talked about his background, and he's just kind of gone from the House um, – politics in California to the U.S. Congress, and he was part of the Young Guns program and is the only surviving member of it, but he's never passed any significant legislation or led a committee. Yeah. And so the question that comes to me is, can a person like that lead at this point in time in our country? And I know extraordinary times will sometimes bring out that in a person, and I hope it comes out in Kevin if he's the leader. Yeah, and not just Kevin McCarthy. Um the the chairman James Comer of the House prob- the probable chairman right. of the uh, government yeah. oversight reform committee oversight Jim jo- Jim Jordan at judiciary and they're good guys um, they are they're all good guys but your your point is exactly right congressman um, and this is something that I I can show you columns that I wrote years ago making this same point the founders who wrote the Constitution. They didn't make the first article about about Congress by coincidence. They intended Congress to be the most powerful of the three branches, right. and they gave right. Congress all of the most important weapons that they need in order to win any showdown with either of the other two branches. Um, and that's why I think, depending on what happens in this election and the next one, um, we are going to have either a constitutional crisis when the Republicans stand up and exercise all of those constitutional tools, or we're going to lose the republic. Well, do, are we going to have a constitutional crisis then, or do we have that now? Well, we we have that now, but I mean, when when the Republicans, if if. For example, yeah. uh, you know, they, they recommend the Department of Justice prosecution uh, for X, and the Department of Justice, just as they did under Obama, just looks at right. it and says, yeah, okay, fine, and then does nothing. If they don't then start impeaching somebody, 
like you said, it won't take more than one or two to get their attention. But that will make the point, look, we mean what we say, and we have the power under the Constitution as the people's representative to enforce what the people want. And that's what people want now. They're tired of politicians that talk and talk and talk and never deliver. Right, and that's the definition of a politician. And it's the people want action, you know. It's it's kind of like John Wayne in the uh, in True Grit. I meant what I said. I say what I mean. I meant what I said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we want Absolutely. that done. And yeah, how, how do well, we now, get you back in Congress? I, I want him in the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying oh, to get him in the Senate. <laughs> I'm still going through detox. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on him. Mark, I am working on him. And listen, with this upcoming election, you wrote an excellent article about specially trained Capitol Hill staffers to observe contested, closely contested elections. What, oh, yeah. what have they done, and how is this going to work, and how will this protect the integrity of our elections compared to 2020? Well, this this is a program that Congressman, I'm, I'm sure it must have been um, up and running when you were here in the in the house um, well it gained basic, momentum here in the last couple of years under rodney davis who got yeah. beat by mary mary miller yeah it's basically they take um republican staffers and and i think the democrats do the same thing though i wasn't able to confirm that with them but they take these staffers and they put them through a quick course on um basically how to be an effective poll watcher um, they send them out because they represent Congress. They can't be uh, prevented from observing the actual count, the actual voting. Um, and one hopes that if they see things that um, shouldn't be doing, shouldn't be happening, that uh, they'll be able to uh, report it and, you know, something then can be done about it. Um, there's a lot of potential in it, but it's I don't know exactly how many people are involved in it at this point. I can't imagine that it's uh, more than – I would be surprised if it was triple figures. But that's a start. And, um, you know, there's 20,000 congressional staffers that work on Capitol Hill. Um, they could be doing a lot of things on Election Day. They could be if they are willing to – call people out and i know a lot of the, some of the smartest young people i've ever seen in my life were up on capitol hill but yep. they're also looking at their next career move and if you create yep. any controversy you know it's like speaking against your liberal professor in a po- political science class you know you get blackballed from the beginning and uh, you know if they have that authority they need to learn to exercise that authority. And if they don't do that, they don't need to go up there. And, you know, it goes back to having those congressional hearings. Don't do the hearing if you're not going to follow through with it because it's a waste of time and aggravation to the American taxpayers. Yeah. And you money. know, back in um, in 94 with, with the Gingrich contract with America, um, having a hearing then was still a good thing because people paid attention to it. But they have had so many hearings that should have resulted in some kind of definitive action since then and didn't, people don't pay attention to it now because they don't think it's going to mean anything. I agree. I agree 100% with that. How do you change that culture up there? You elect a bunch of people. 
you elect a bunch of people like you and um, the Congress of the Senator from Oklahoma, who I'm sure you recall very well, Tom, no. <laughs> Dr. No of the Senate, um, Brand. Tom, Col- Tom Colburn, you know, he, he yeah. voted the way he thought it was right, and he did not care what the consequences were. That's, that's the way need. I did. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what we need. We need a bunch of people in Congress that are not worrying about the next election. They're worrying about making things better. Well, you know what? What you just said right there is, I, and Annie's heard me say this, a politician worries about their next election. Yeah. A statesman worries about their next generation. Exactly. And there's too many dang politicians up there. Yep, yep. Yep, that's that's yeah. it. That's the problem. Well, well right now the, the Democrats. Go ahead, Annie. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say right now the Democrats are so desperate for votes that Biden's now released these oil reserves, and that's kind of like backfiring on him, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you, it's going to backfire on backfire on him in a way that uh, that story that I did on the investigations to expect. One of the things that is going to be looked at very closely is Senator Grassley has already basically um, done the spade work on it, uh, is whether or not President Joe Biden, who is the big guy in the Hunter Biden laptop, uh, if the sales of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve that went to the firm, Chinese firm controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, that Hunter Biden has an interest in, if that all checks out, that's 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 an impeachable offense. And, it sure is. You know, that's when they're going to have to make a decision. Okay, guys, are we here to do what's right, or are we here to stick around here? Well, Ted, I'm going to ask you this, because it's only supposed to be released in the case of a state of emergency. And what happens to a president that, does not adhere to that requirement, is that in itself an impeachable offense? I think that's something that would be argued. Um, When you look at the cause of what our oil situation is in this country, the big cause of that is not Putin. It's not Saudi Arabia. It's Joe Biden canceling Mm -hmm. leases on these companies, and these companies – you can't ask these companies, I don't care if it's an oil company or a solar company or whoever, to to go through the engineering, the planning, and all that stuff that takes years to do, millions of dollars, and say you can drill here and then you pull it out. How many times are you going to allow somebody to go forward and pull the rug out from them where they say, you know what, we're not going to do it. We'll go somewhere else. And Joe Biden and the Democratic Party, the Greenies, have done this to America, and it's weakened our our national security, bottom line. Yep. And Amen. it's a big driver exactly of inflation. Right. Yep. Yep. Well, it's, being, it's be interesting. Texas, being from Texas and Oklahoma, um, I have a there you go. particular <laughs> interest in, in energy issues. And um, I can tell you, you know, the American energy industry, if, if Biden calls – called them all up tomorrow morning and said, look, we're going to relax all the regulations. We're going to make the leases flow again. This country would again, as it was the day Donald Trump left office, this country within a year 
would again be a net energy exporter. Instead, what we're all worried about is under Biden's green policies, people are going to freeze to death in America this winter. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not an irrational worry. It's possible. Yeah, and the gas ration. No, I agree. I agree 100% with that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll Joe see Biden now the gas ration we saw the 70s. Yep. Yep. But you've got That's the AOC it. crowd out there saying $10 a gallon gasoline is good for the economy and good for America. <laughs> yeah, they like, don't have to pay What it planet are you on? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you get people in New York City to ride a subway or, you know, they can walk to work, but you get somebody where I live, you've got to drive 30 miles to your job. $10 yeah. gasoline is not good. Yeah. No. And what, yeah. what, does that, what does that suggest we talk about? If you try to ride the subway to work in New York these days, you may get thrown in front of the subway. Thrown in there or stabbed, beat up, robbed. Yeah. Oh, heaven forbid if you, if you, well, wait a minute, heaven forbid you board a city bus without your vax passport or your mask on, then how the heck are you going to get to work to begin with? You know, you have yeah. no car because there's no gas. Uh, you're afraid to take the subway because you're afraid some, some wacko is going to throw you in front of the, the train or worse, beat the crap out of you and leave you for half dead on the platform. So you decide to take the bus to safer the few. Yet you can't board the bus because no mask and no vaccine passport. So you decide to grab a taxi or an Uber. But wait a minute. New York City requires that you still have the mask on the vaccine passport in order to get into the taxi. So Today, yeah, really? Wow. Yeah. That came up. Um, with Mark, that you, new, now, you should know this, Mark, because that new Supreme Court ruling that came down, not, not Supreme Court, that judge that ruled, that the vaccine uh, mandate that cost so many people their jobs in New York State was unconstitutional. However, in the ruling, they left a little clause in there that gave New York City an exemption. And New York City, (laughs) in their exemption, includes taxis as well as buses and subways as a public form of transport. Really? Wow. I I did not know that, Annie. But I can't say that I'm surprised. (laughs) That's why we listen to any show. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The minutia that runs around in this little airhead. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> well, Mark, you, you saw in D.C. that they're having such a problem collecting tolls on the bus because they can't enforce it that the yep. public tra- transportation, I forget, it was a staggering number. I, I don't think it was in the hundreds of millions but it was in the tens of millions of dollars of unpaid fees and they can't do anything about it. And it's just, you know, Mm -hmm. again, it comes down to break down a rule of law and a breakdown of personal responsibility and just doing the right thing, ethics and character. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's a funny thing, but when the bad guys know the odds that they're going to face consequences for doing bad things are remote and zero they go out and they do a lot more bad things. Isn't that sure. amazing? Well, you Isn't know, I was amazing? on Foreign Affairs, and we sat and heard the DEA about drug cartels bringing drugs into America through Mexico. Yeah. Ninety. They said 98% of the shipments of drugs coming in from the cartels make it in. And so if I'm a, 
a businessman of any commodity, if I only have a 2% loss, I'm going to do it all day long. All day. And it goes right back to what you're saying. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a joke that we don't hold people accountable. Well, we right now have a massive migration sitting at the border waiting to cross over just prior to the election because the word is going out to these migrants that once the election occurs on on the 8th, the rules are going to change and it's going to be harder for them to get in. So they're all staged for a whole new invasion here coming on the border. Mark, people can find you over at the Epic Times and they can read your great articles over there, correct? Yes. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> oh, I have to. And you I got some to. good ones. You do a good job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. Um, we got to get you back up to D.C. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know if they're ready for long, me. <laughs> as long as you can still guest co-host with me. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a prerequisite. <laughs> John Boehner said, I mean, he, he despised me. He wrote in his book that I was one of the crazy ones because I challenged him. And and he told me in conference one time, he goes, yo there's a fine line between courage and crazy. I said, yes, sir, there is, and there's a fine line between courage and cowardness. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Don't, don't get, I have to don't tell get you, me started on John Boehner. I won't. Well, I, have to I, tell won't. You, I enjoyed when, when him. He was a fun him. guy, but he just wasn't the leader. No. <laughs> when he was sober. When he was sober. No. Yeah. But I had texted Mark Sanford when they were voting for Boehner, and I kept texting Sanford, said, no, I don't like that. You know, I, I think I was going for Louis Gohmert at the time. And Mark Sanford was honest. He texts back and goes, you don't understand. This was a deal that was done six weeks ago behind closed doors. It doesn't yeah, matter. That, it's a done deal. And that's, that's, that's the thing with Kevin McCarthy. That we can talk about Yes, we can. So we will have you back in two weeks, Mark. All righty. Sounds good. All right. All right. Check out Mark Capstock <laughs> at theepictime.com. Bye-bye. All right. Y'all take care. Uh, love that man. Love that man. We've got our final victim in the studio here, and I want to welcome onto the show for the first time from the Heritage Foundation. He's a senior research fellow for National Defense. Uh, Dakota Woods. Dakota, we have as our guest co-host, former congressman from the great state of Florida, Ted Yoho. So you're in for a treat today. Welcome aboard. Fantastic. This hey, is a great session. It's a blessing to be on and good to, good to talk with you all. Yes. And matter of fact, the Marine Corps dialoguing with you. Up. Marine Corps Ball is coming up in a couple of weeks, November 10th. Things are going to get hot and heavy down here in the great state of uh, South Carolina in Buford, home of Paris Island Recruit Depot. Yeah, I tell you, those are sought-after tickets, too. I mean, you know, the Marines do a lot of pomp and ceremony. There's a huge amount of tradition, reading of uh, General June's you know, address to the Corps. I mean, it's just a wonderful, wonderful event. That, uh, it take a lot of pride in our country and service to the country in that venue. Well, what I don't tell very many people is that my ex-husband was a gunny. And he served uh, originally in a reservist as 225 Mardiv that was later uh, underneath the command of 1st Mardiv, which the commanding officer at the time was Colonel Raymond Kelly. And at that time, yeah. I attended bar in the NCO club 
So I served under Raymond Kelly as a bartender in the Yacht and Field Club when I was married to a gunny. And later on, yeah. I again served under Raymond Kelly as police commissioner as when I was an NYPD cop. So I got to be under his command twice. <laughs> that, that is some serious combat duty right there on both ends. <laughs> well, attending bar in a Marine Corps club, yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. <laughs> and and you know it's a good bartender because the second the person hits the door, you knew what branch of service they were in. There was no yeah. answer, to, and you knew what they were going to order. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I've fun. got a nephew who's uh, I've got a nephew who's a gunny, and I'll be seeing him this weekend. So I mean, they're just you know the backbone of the core. I mean, our NCOs, staff NCOs are fantastic people. Absolutely, absolutely. Now you've been writing a lot of great articles about our loss of military strength and this is something that's been a long time in the works and you know over the years now I was married back in 19, that year um, mm-hmm. and back then we saw the softening of requirements to join the military and over the years now through um, social engineering it has gotten to the point where we question the readiness of our military. All right, fine, Army, Coast Guard, they're the soft end, Navy step up, but the Marine Corps now to the point where it has actually affected the Marine Corps. And I've had friends of mine that turned around and says, I'm getting out. This is not the Marine Corps I joined. And the social engineering is hurting our national security. Yeah, there, there is absolutely frustration throughout the force. You know, when the senior leadership, you know, the Secretary of Defense, the secretaries of the various departments, you know, Navy, Army, Air Force, and even some of the service chiefs, uh, you know, when they go testify before Congress, you know, they're talking about critical race theory and white rage and, you know, diversity being our greatest strength and all these sorts of things. And what, what service members actually want to talk about and hear about is warfighting competency. They want enough you know, funding and their budgets to be able to fly and drive and shoot so that they're very confident in their skills. They want to use newer equipment rather than ancient equipment, and I've got lots of examples of that, uh, where, you know, you're spending all week long just trying to get the plane up and ready or the ship, you know, out of port, and you want enough stuff, you know, right? If you're a small force and you're having to work 80-hour work weeks uh, or if you're going to commit everything to one region because of an obligation security threat, and you can't cover down on other areas against other threats. It's just it's just maddening, you know, to see this um, this uh, distraction at the most senior levels on these social engineering projects. And uh, I'll, be, I'll tell you a story about pilot uh, training in the Air Force uh, when you want to get around to that. But, it, but it's disheartening. And uh, what we need is young people to step up. We want them to join the service. There's nobility in it, absolute necessity in it. And I, and I think a lot of the rot is coming from the top down, uh, not, not from the bottom in any, in any stress. We've got great people in our, in our services. Yeah, we, we do. Uh, and unfortunately now, because it's coming, the rot is coming from the top down, it is affecting mm-hmm. what's coming from the bottom up. Because the poorer quality you have enlisting, now you've got these poor guys sandwiched in the middle. They're getting it from both ends. And I I know I take a lot of heat for this, but when Trump said, you know, we're not going to allow the transgender into the military, it's too much of a liability. And when you think about it, you have someone 
who has to go through constant hormone treatments for the rest of their lives, there'll be segments of time where they will not be <coughs> battle ready, if ever being able to be battle ready in the field in actual combat. And we had this debate over women, but now it's diverged from whether or not women can serve in combat to whether or not we can accept people that have mental and physical disabilities, which is what this is. It is a mental, because they have to constantly go through all this, and we, the taxpayers, are footing the bill. Well, you know, further craziness is uh, you know, whether we have women coming in, if we, if we can't even define what a, what a woman is. Right. I mean, you know, if you're self-defining, you know, whatever your gender preference is, I mean, how how is the military supposed to accommodate that? You know, and building and training and you know, medical support and all the other things that come along with it. So, so I I I, I would differ with you in one respect, sense in that we have we do have terrific people joining, and and in many ways high standards are being kept, which is why we have such a hard time. In recruiting these days, only, only fewer than one out of ten American youth have any interest in joining the military, and I think there's a lot of imagery problems uh, that drive that, which we've already discussed some of them. But three out of four 17 to 24-year-olds have criminal records, uh, poor health, uh, obese, medical problems, or psychiatric problems that make them ineligible for service. So we've got a problem society-wide in on valuing military service and then making sure that our youth are, are up to that task, you know, that they're healthy, they're not having, you know, run-ins with law enforcement, they're not uh, abusing illicit substances, drug abuse is another disqualifier. So it's a real problem uh, society-wide uh, that we really need to grapple with. So that's on the front end. But, but inside the military, you're right, there are standards that are eroding, the Air Force is short 650 pilots, and they're in such need of pilots that they have a 94% graduation rate in flight school. And those that are dropped for a lack of an ability to learn is less than one half of 1%, right? So the others wow. run into a foul with a DUI or they've got personal issues or something like that. So essentially, if you've got a pulse and can stay out of legal trouble, you're going to graduate from flight school in the Air Force and find yourself in a cockpit. So either everybody is just incredibly capable or you're lowering standards just to get people through that pipeline. So it's, it's a right. real issue in the current military. And they're strapping between their legs a lot of money. I mean, we're not talking about maybe a million yeah. or two here. That is an awful lot of money. And yeah, on, I don't on the even low end, the current... modern... Yeah, on the low yep. end, a modern airplane, a fighter aircraft runs $80 million. And at the upper end, you're talking 120 or $130 million. So it's a huge amount of taxpayer funding that goes into a modern jet fighter um, that, is, that you have to have that to survive in the current anti-air threat environment with new radar systems and missiles and those sorts of things, right? So if we want our men and women to succeed in combat, they have to be properly equipped with new technologies, and so you're absolutely right. If you don't have high-quality people uh, who are smart, you know, physically fit, uh, plugged in, focused, uh, then all of that money goes to waste, and you end up losing battles and wars, and we don't have a country that, you know, that we've enjoyed for 200-some-odd uh, years now. 
And you're also talking about increase of training accidents. Now, you know, the F-18, at one point, they were looking to phase out because that thing is older than most kids that are in. A lot of people probably even listening to the show uh, is older than them. But we came out with the F-35s, which has been now, what is it, close to 20 years in development. They still have the kinks. Oh, we won't mention the parts that came out of China that caused pilots from passing out in the cockpit. And you can tell I live near the Marine Corps Air Station, know a lot about that. Uh, but in order to salvage some of the fights, our military has gotten to the point where they've had to actually retool factories to now manufacture the parts for the F-18s simply to keep them flying because we don't have enough planes in the air that are operable. Yeah, uh, the average, again, we'll use the Air Force as an example, but it's similar across the services. The average age of an Air Force fighter aircraft, F-16, F F-15, uh, is 32 years old, 32 years old. They've, they've stopped production on the F-18, the uh, fixed-wing fighter the Navy and Marine Corps uses. You know, the F-22 was truncated back in the 1990s, so we won't have any more of those. But they've actually got it worked out with the F-35. The problem with the F-35, uh, fully functional, full software upgrades, it's, it's a really a marvelous piece of engineering at this point, is the Air Force is, is dedicating 70% more for research and development for an airplane they want to buy in the 2030s than spending that money on acquiring current production aircraft today, meaning the F-35. So uh, we've got a production line that can produce 80 or 100 of those a year, and they're only buying 33 of them. So to your point, if you're not buying equipment, companies can't stay in business. They can't right. hire and retrain workers. And so then when you actually do need something, you look at all the equipment losses and the munitions that are being used up in, in Ukraine, defending themselves against Russia. When you need that production capacity, it's not there because you weren't investing in that capability during times of peace. Those investments keep people trained and competent in their jobs, and it also allows you the ability to be resilient in combat and to replace combat losses and sustain your effort. So a lot of that stuff is absolutely missed in Washington, D.C., and, and I know our good friend here can talk to that, you know, from his uh, catbird seat when he was serving, uh, you know, there in Congress, <laughs> but it's a, it's a real mess. It's a 30-year story. Yeah, oh, it, it is. is and not only that... What, what I found amazing, though, with the F-35s, instead of having a single-type aircraft for all services, you have the F-35A, the F-35B, and C. And depending upon which one you have, if you wanted longer flight time, you had the heavier engine with the lighter shell. If you wanted a shorter flight, it goes back and forth, back and forth. They don't even have yeah. the same shell, much less the same well, engine. And that in itself was a huge waste of money. Well, there, there are different uses. The, air, the uh, Navy needs an airplane that can be launched off of an aircraft carrier and then recovered. That's a much different sort of airplane than what the Air Force uses on 10,000-foot runways. The uh, uh, Marine Corps needs a short takeoff capability to fly off of big depth, big deck uh, amphibious uh, ships. So the problem was when the program was originally envisioned, Many members of Congress back then wanted to get efficiencies. Why buy three different kinds of airplanes? Why can't we just have one with slight modifications? And so you had to sub-optimize the design to meet that criteria. So it's not the world's best in any one of those flight profiles, but because of this desire for efficiency, 
rather than effectiveness, it drove to that one type of airplane. So you're absolutely right. When you take the F-35A that the Air Force uses, it's skinnier, sleeker, moves faster uh, than, than the Navy side. The Navy type, it needs a bigger wing because it needs more lift when you're more lift, yeah. down, you know, yeah, an 800-foot, uh, you know, runway on an aircraft carrier. So, you know, there were original design characteristics that were desired that just didn't meet real-world applications. Again, it's a lack of a seriousness in the Pentagon and Congress that you buy into these sounds good but isn't really true, isn't really good, and that's what drives a lot of these purchase decisions. Well, and it changes from administration to administration. They'll change the whole mission, and that's that's something that is just ludicrous, and we should have a national security mission that survives an administration to the next unless it's, you know, times of – you know, a uh, national emergency, but you can't just say, all right, we're going to change the plane and go into production in six months. I mean, these things take years of development. And, um, you know, I want to ask you, you're talking about um, the naval officers being, uh, no, you were talking about um, the the wokeness, the social issues, mm-hmm. and it was a distraction. Is that coming from the upper echelon? And is that just an administration or is that by design of a, you know, radically changing America in your opinion? No, you know, and I, well, I know you served for what, 20 years? Right. Yeah. 20 years in the Marine Corps, 85 to 2005. And then I've been involved in this defense analysis business since 2005. Um, so it, it's, it's actually the two are linked. So if you were the Obama administration or now the Joe Biden administration, your constituency really skews the left and very progressive on these social issues. So if in our society you see, you know, gender equity things, you see uh, uh, this uh, uh, inability to define who a woman is, if you're into critical race theory, identity politics, all those sorts of things, as as the elected official, you're, you're appealing to that, that voter base, that constituency, right? And so when you get into office, you're going to make decisions on things like energy policy, uh, you know, combating climate change, identity politics, all these sorts of things, and you're going to put officials into key positions in order to uh, develop those policies and then implement those policies and make sure that they're carried through, right? So it is the elected class that, that generate these policies and impose them on the military establishment. But a lot of times they're doing that because their voting base, that's how they're growing up and that's their particular worldview, right? Where when you get a conservative administration in, you know, H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Ronald Reagan was, you know, going back that far, even Donald Trump, um, the people who put them to office have a very different view, right, of the role of government, uh, you know, the difference between men and women, um, you know, domestic energy developments, you're not dependent on external sources like Saudi Arabia or Russia or Venezuela. It's a different worldview, right, a different set of values. So when they're in office, they try to develop those policies and implement them. So you're right, it radically changes from H.W. Bush to Clinton to George W. to Obama to Trump to Biden. And this seesaw back and forth can be very disruptive and Training standards, the makeup of the military, defense programs, and all that. And that's why I mentioned this 30-year story. When the the Soviet Union was in place, 
you had a lot of consistency because you had a divided yeah, Europe, yeah, yeah. Soviet military, and it focused you. Once that went away, things got crazy in the 90s. You know, there was no major threat. So you could kind of imagine whatever you wanted to. And then we had the terrorist attacks in 2001. And for 20 years, we've been chasing terrorists around the world. So we've been consuming our military against an enemy that has no Navy, no Air Force, no great land army, right? And yet when you fly an airplane to drop a bomb on somebody who can't shoot back at you, you're still using up flight hours that have been engineered into that plane, right? And so we've just been greatly distracted for 20 years now. And then you wake up and you find very muscular Russia, even though it's performing poorly, look how much of Ukraine it's destroyed. Dramatic expansion and militarization of China. Iran is a nuclear power. Crazy Kim, you know, has been lighting off nukes right there in North Korea and appears to be uh, getting ready to test another one. So lack of focus, lack of consistency has really generated these problems. Well, can we survive another? Right on the head there. Well, I was going to ask, can we survive another conflict as we stand now? Uh, it's questionable. It really is. And that's, you know, we generate this report card from the Heritage Foundation called the Index of U.S. Military Strength. This year is the ninth edition. It's the first time we've given, we've scored the U.S. military as weak. Again, not an indictment of the people, but it's too small. The equipment is too old and they're not able to fly and drive and train and shoot enough to actually be competent. So our military is only big enough to respond to one major event. So, you know, if a NATO member was invaded or attacked by Russia, it would take about everything that we've got uh, to, to fight that fight, which means you wouldn't have anything to meet obligations with Japan or South Korea or try to render assistance to Taiwan or Israel. I mean, that's the situation we're in right now. We'll be using 30, 35-year-old airplanes. We haven't bought a Stinger anti-aircraft missile in 18 years. Even our ballistic missiles that are in silos, the Miniman 3, were introduced in the early 1970s. They were only supposed to be there for 10 years, and now we're 50 years later, and they have the same missiles, right? And it's just these are facts that that the American public is just not aware of, and it's why we issue this report to to bring that awareness to the American public. Well, and that debate comes down to Congress. And the Congress, they change every couple of years. You know, there's new people yeah. in there. But there should be the mission of the United States. It's like the military, quoting Rush Limbaugh, they're there to blow up stuff and, and break things. And, mm-hmm. you know, they need to stay that as a mission. And, you know, hopefully we never have to use it in that respect. But it needs to be the philosophy of uh, Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan. You know, walk softly, carry a big stick. And peace through strength. And we do not have that. And our adversaries know we don't have that. Yeah, so here, I get so frustrated Florida, with that. So. Florida is a great example here where if you live in Florida, right, you know that hurricanes are going to be coming, right? And so yeah, people have yeah. to carry, you know, hurricane coverage, high wind coverage, flood coverage on their homes. If you don't do that and the storm comes, it's too late. You know, you can't get that overnight. And so you make these investments to ensure that you're protected because historically you know that these events happen. And war is the same way. The United States finds itself at war about every 20 years since our founding in the 1770s. You just go over our timeline, about every 20 years we're in a war. So so to think that that's never going to happen again is just crazy. And yet after war ends. Yeah, in the 70s, the 80s, it's a world war. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, and so after a war ends, we slash the military, we don't fund it, we believe we can just talk our way past problems that nobody would ever attack anybody else, because it might damage their economy. And yet the evidence is overwhelming that that other countries operate and believe different things. And so we underinvest in our defense capabilities, a problem occurs, and then you've got this old worn out military, and you can't generate then the, the combat capabilities you need in very short order. It's just a, it's just a perennial problem. Well, we're down to our last well, that, few minutes. Man, this whole show is going just so fast here, Chad. Go ahead and ask your does, last question. It always does. Well, it, it's a series of questions, but I, I think the biggest one, and I'll just make a comment. I spoke at the War College in Jacksonville, and I asked the commander, mm-hmm. what's your biggest concern? He says resiliency. And I says, what do you mean? He goes, the resiliency of our, our of our recruits. We've got people that can't run the two-mile test, and we can't mm-hmm. discipline them like we, we need to. Um, I, I have a very good per- friend of mine that is um, in one of the branches. They said 25% of the people in their branch in their service can't pass the physical uh, requirement, mm-hmm. yeah. and mm-hmm. it's a scary thing. And then we've seen, and this is the question, um, um, I've seen several admirals from the Navy fleet relieved of command, and, of course, the only mm-hmm. explanation you see is uh, they lost the confidence of their uh, superiors. Is yep. that because of the wokeness stuff and the critical race theory that they just don't buy into or vaccine mandates or all of the above? No, I think it's actually um, a problem in moral character. You know, again, we, mm-hmm. we draw okay. people into the military from general society. And sure. so uh, if we look at society writ large, and I know you track this, right, uh, for the past couple of decades, uh, you know, respect, uh, uh, right. civility, uh, healing to standards, uh, you know, right and wrong, um, you know, taking it on the chin yourself in order to support, you know, your unit, right, so some kind of self-discipline, self-denial, uh, civic virtue, and those things seem to be more rare these days than they were in the past. So what we have is people coming out of that society. Uh, we have, um, even though our, some of our operating forces have been in combat environments, a, a heck of a lot of the military is often back in garrison, right? And in a kind of mm-hmm. a peacetime environment, what you value in your kind of checklist mentality changes over time. And so people will get into a key position and they just don't do the things that they should be doing. Uh, They're advanced through these promotion systems. So again, if you're looking at equity and you want the military to reflect American society, well, perhaps the people who come up for promotion, there are selection criteria applied to make sure that the right race or ethnicity or age or gender is in that that promotion pool, right, instead of whoever is best qualified. And so you'll get people who are promoted into positions who rightly shouldn't be there, I mean, just based on effectiveness of personal qualities. And so now they're in essentially over their head. Uh, Perhaps they didn't earn their way into those positions. And you have problems when you're not the commander. You can't hide these things. And so you'll have difficulties then that manifest over a year, 18 months, and finally it just can't be hidden, and uh, the service has to finally act to do something. And it shouldn't have been that way in the first place, right? So it's another consequence. Yeah. Let me cut you off there and ask you one last thing, and then I'll turn it over to Andy. The U.S. is to scrap the sea-launched nuclear missile despite military backing. Um, Is that good or bad thing? 
that's a bad a thing. Nuclear we, missile. we need that missile. Need that missile. You know, one of the I arguments agree. is, yeah, you, you, you know, we won't get it for 10 or 15 years. That's normal developmental cycle. You know, we've got other stuff that works now. But if you wait until the stuff that works now needs to be replaced, you can't then wait another 10 or 15 years. <laughs> you know, I mean, this right. is thinking ahead. So our opponents oh, are being innovative one of our... in new nuclear weapons. We're not. It's a horrible decision by the Biden administration, and I hope that it Congress overturns that. I hope so, because China's watching that, Russia's watching yep. that, Iran, North Korea, yep. Cuba, all these countries that despise us are watching us systematically weaken America, and it just opens us up for a frontal attack. And as you said, We're doing it we can't ourselves. defend. Yeah, we've done it to ourselves. Annie, I'm done with questions. Thank you. <laughs> well, Dakota, it has been a great pleasure having you on. People can find you at heritage.org, uh, where you are the senior research uh, fellow uh, for the Center for National Defense over there. You've got great articles. You really break it down. You also have the score sheet so people can see what you're talking about, where our military stands. And it's going to be up to us that are reading these articles to contact our elected officials and put their feet to the fire and override this administration's destruction of our military. And if they don't do it, throw them out. Yeah, that is is the big takeaway right there. The American people need to step forward to hold their elected officials accountable. It's not going to happen any other way. Agreed. Well, thank you for joining us. And next time you see Tom, hit him over the head and say, get me on that crazy lady show again. <laughs> I sure will. Thank you. All right. God bless. Thank Enjoy you. your weekend. All right. Check out Dakota Wood at heritage.org. Ted, we are down to our last two and a half minutes. And, boy, this show has went like unbelievable despite all the technical difficulties despite having last minute guests back out and new ones stepping in Whew, i'm out of breath i think you did a I'm remarkable busy. job there annie i need a scotch you covered it well <laughs> there you go <laughs> anyway all right well i thank you and have a great weekend you too ted and uh, uh, god bless you and thank you for stepping in for curtis and we'll be talking soon yes ma'am you take all care right. goodbye Thank you so much. Ted Yoho, former congressman out of the great state of Florida. We're down to our last two minutes in the show, so I know we're not going to have a lot enough time for the whole closing song, but I'm going to leave you with the song from my friend Gary Pecorella, Save America. So until next week, I say good night and God bless.